jacking back in. Waypoints return to the Matrix series in advance. Sorry, I guess no. I should have vetoed. Should I run that by vetoed. you? <laughs> you don't want to no. jack back in? No, God. Anyway, today we're going back to the start with the Wachowski's 1999 sci-fi action classic, The Matrix. At least reference Simulacra. We can be welcome we, to the desert of the real. Welcome back. <laughs> there we go. Welcome, Jack. <laughs> Welcome, Jack. This is Jacking Back In, a podcast all about jerking off. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. Wow. They just made the te- the subtext text. <laughs> That's what the Matrix is all about, baby. <laughs> they really uh, so we are revisiting the Matrix series to some extent, before the release of The Matrix Resurrections. Right now, there's heated debate, like, how much time we're going to allot to discussing the sequels. What are we going to do about that Animatrix? All these things will have to be hashed out, possibly live on live Patrick, on Patrick, looking up. Oh, there were two video games in addition to the MMO, Enter the Matrix and <laughs> yeah. Path of Neo. I think Enter the Matrix is the, the interesting one, but I don't, I don't fully remember. I didn't play either of them. Okay, the path of Neo is interesting for... I'm not going to derail this path. But <laughs> I mean, that would be fun. already off, off the, the fucking Matrix. rails. <laughs> Enter the Matrix was great if my... Whatever year... I don't know. What year was that? 2003? So well, you, you jumped from pre-pod and being like... Uh, yeah, that was kind of interesting. Enter the Matrix was great. Like, getting yeah. in the pod mode, and all of a sudden, no, it's got to no, be like on. a top 10 game of all time, Mikado. Why no, is your Mikado my... Gilbert Godfrey? My... <laughs> <laughs> Enter the Matrix was great. Well, once you, you've never heard him talk about the Matrix before. It gets, gets kind of on the mood. Brings out the inner cookie monster. My, my 13 year old brain, I think it was 13, 13 or 14 year old brain thought it was great. I don't know. Yeah, obviously, that was the last and only time I played it because it was a PS2. Oh, so you're game. just going to hedge like a coward. Yes, absolutely. That's me. Wow, dude. <laughs> Welcome to Bullying Kato, a new podcast where we just bully Kato. <laughs> uh, so. The other thing that happened just before we started to record, uh, obviously, we're all getting ready for The Matrix Resurrections. It's very exciting to see this coming back. And Gita noticed that a new trailer just dropped. And immediately, Patrick was like, I don't know if I want to know any more than I already do. And so, shall we discuss? Are we going to acknowledge the the incoming tide of marketing headed our way? Yeah. Or are, well, we, or are we now putting on the blinders it's and a poster? being pure? Not a trailer. Fair oh, to be okay. fair. Oh, okay. All right. Well, so there will be another the trailer. Poster, but but I, like, I get... it's indicative of yes. what's about to happen. You know, between now and Christmas, it's going to be nonstop marketing blitz. It's 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 difficult because <laughs> I these days have come to I I love watching trailers. Like as a, trailers as a form is is just delight. Like one of my favorite things to do is just look. I'm um, getting ready to watch a movie. You know, an older film like. I'll go watch the trailers that were released. Like oh, they are just yeah. old trailers are great where they truly were an art form. Now yeah. they always were marketing. And maybe this is just a semblance of like a bit of, if you look at any form of media decades prior, like your removal from um, how it is presented, uh, you know, more hyperkinetically in, in the age that we are in now, everything's faster. Everything is showing more. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that, that is just the case, but um, I, I've like firmly become a like trailer number one, person which is like the first one that comes out this sort of like sets a tone gives you a sense of like what you're in for i just don't trust the marketing after that i feel like at that point it's like okay we got to show you more of the set pieces more of the bits and and maybe this is an instance in which there's enough creative control from 
you know, the creative talent involved were like, hey, actually, it can be fun when the marketing works hand in hand with the creative, which is actually we're going to be like actively deceiving you and creatively mm-hmm. editing so that you get a tone piece for what we're going for. But it actually doesn't reveal any of the secrets because it's like I've waited this long for <laughs> for this entry. It's like I I don't need any convincing. Um, the discourse will mm-hmm. be there waiting for me on on Christmas Day. Uh, but I will see. We'll see it. We'll see if I'm willing to to hold on to um, not actually clicking play when that that next trailer inevitably drops. See, I'm going back and I'm looking at the original theatrical trailer for The Matrix now. And the one thing I sincerely remember from that marketing campaign, I was about 10 years old when this movie came out originally, um, is that it was predicated on a question. The question was, what is The Matrix? And they refused to to answer that question in the marketing campaign itself. And it was a because it gave you just enough of what was going to happen in the movie. This was a case where like you could show the set pieces, but it would just sort of spark curiosity because you're like, what the hell could they possibly be doing in this film that would require them to do these jaw dropping, get like physics defying stunts. Um, Trailers, modern trailers do, except for that initial teaser and like usually the initial theatrical trailer, they don't really build anticipation or build curiosity anymore. They're all about building excitement. And yeah. excitement isn't something that is like a growing feeling of like, of you know, it, it's just, it's a one and done. You know, Martin Scorsese comparing like Marvel action movies to uh, theme park rides really sort of fits here in that analogy where trailers are no longer like, um, I don't know, getting a reading a really interesting article and then deciding to see a movie, basically. Well, trailers like the, the best trailers can be kind that. of like a, yeah. like a short film that acts as an yeah. advertisement for the movie. Like that's what, what has always taken me about trailers. Like a really good one can feel as though you have taken the, the elements of here and are telling a mini story as opposed to just showing a montage of clips. And like oh most modern trailers are a montage of clips as the studios are like – frantically rush their visual effects studios to crunch and finish shots and then increasingly shove those into yeah. the, the trailers. And like granted, like, you know, a lot of what I'm talking about are like more of the spectacle films, but I think this is true for a lot of yeah. marketing and like even for, for quieter films where like whatever the most exciting moments they have, the most dramatic moments, those are just ratcheted up as the marketing gets closer because for somewhat understandable reasons, like they're at that point, desperate to get people who aren't already interested to give them something to come see it. But that's why I just like, it used to be the case. You like can less watch ad buys before an election. Yeah. Where it's yeah. like, get yes. in there. Yes. Get in there. Yeah. Stay and in then, line. And then, the, yeah. And then the ad buys report, like you're also going to die if you don't vote, you know? And like, that's the, like the equivalent yeah. happening in like in trailer editing. It's not about like a long consistent, like theme and curiosity. Cause like the marketing in that era that you're speaking of is like matrix comes, uh, you know, uh, in the same era of like the Blair Witch Project establishing like what would become like the ARG, what would become like like deceptive web marketing, like the what is the matrix.com was like an early like mm-hmm. website that I remember going on like through AOL.com. Yeah. And um, it was like an ARG type experience where they really tried to sell you on this being a, a, a an in, in really like in satisfying mystery to solve yeah and they're like going to the movie was going to be part of salt like yes going to going down the rabbit hole was going to like following the white rabbit was going to the movie and i remember that yeah. being mm-hmm. a huge as someone who was an early uh internet goblin like yeah i'm pretty <laughs> sure that's like that's how i found the blair witch project too it was like not yeah 
you know, uh, going to trailer websites because that stuff didn't really, there wasn't the bandwidth to do things yeah, like that really. You would have a, it would be about four inches tall and it would be extremely pixelated if you could watch a trailer. Yeah, can I, can I download this a 320 by 240 quick time movie? <laughs> yeah. Because um, actually that was like the early way to watch trailers was like Apple's website. Their yes. quick time website yeah. was how you watched trailers. It was like, Hey mom, don't pick up the phone as you watch the gray bar like turn yeah, dark gray yeah. and and inevitably, well, I only loaded half the trailer and I guess I'll just watch this this clip over and over again. Yeah. Yeah, gosh. I um so I was also an early internet goblin, one might say. My my dad works in IT, so he got we had we were early adopters of the internet. Sure. Um and the marketing for the Matrix, that What is the Matrix website, worked so well on me that when I finally saw the Matrix, I was seized by anxiety because I thought it was, in fact, real. Yeah, Ten years you, old, you, you, your through. Matrix is my Blair Witch Project. I remember yeah, distinctly exactly. telling my father, it seems awfully odd that we could watch this. I didn't know what the term snuff film was, but that's what I was describing. <laughs> I was like, it seems odd that we could just go to the movie theater and pay to watch these kids die. Um <laughs> And like, if you talk to me about it, I knew that wasn't the case, but the marketing mm -hmm. was felt so, and that was their whole pitch with Blair Witch was like, Hey, right. come see this found footage. Like before found footage mm -hmm. was, a and like, so, and Matrix was playing, this was like such early wild west experimental. Uh, yeah. It's weird to be nostalgic for marketing, but it was exciting because it felt like a product on its own. Like it felt like yes. it, it, you were a participant. Like it's you were um, already part of a community before yes. the movie came out. 100%. Instead of the way that marketing studios sort of weaponize fandoms at this point, where you know every time a Disney movie comes out now, there's already like a Twitter hashtag and a little icon it gets, and it's just sort of feeding into an ecosystem that already exists of people who are going to be just the stands for this movie. It it tried to create a reason for you to participate in that community. Like even just an activity to do or something for you to talk about with other people rather than being this thing exists and it still exists and it's going to exist even more soon. Well, and I, I think it also speaks to what this film is trying to do, uh, which is for, for all that it's an action classic, it's heart is also very much in like, mind blowing speculative sci-fi uh, mm -hmm. stuff. And so I think like, when I think of what the modern marketing campaign would be, it absolutely would be like gun, like shootout sequences with the gunshots timed to whatever music track they have backing the uh, yeah. that part of the trailer, <laughs> right? Where it'd be like, "Here's what you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna watch." It's an it's an old fashioned shoot 'em up with a sci fi twist, yeah. and the Matrix was genuinely like, man. There's such a mystery at the heart of this film, and I do remember though, mm -hmm. like getting in the film, and I was like. Okay, so it's just a simulation. You could have just said that. Like, God, Rob, wow. you're the worst. Wow. Like every every Rob, other Rob, once Rob. again, Rob's so, ability to re, re, to like read the film <laughs> as everyone else goes like, "What does the white rabbit mean? Where are we going? What are these pods?" Rob's like. It's you know, just a, it's just simulation it's theory. Like, it's a fucking simulation. It's, it's existentialist leanings. They're pretty obvious if you've like read Sartre before. But it, you know, <laughs> th there is like depth to it at the very least because they keep going after it's a simulation. Like that's the thing because it starts to begin to ask questions of personhood and self, which yeah. are ultimately things only you yourself can answer. Yeah, it's not just a what, twist. It's not just yeah. like I gotcha, and then like yeah. here's some shootouts. Like yeah, you're you're right. It leans it at you know. You know, the, the mm -hmm. notion of like even staying in the simulation, like why would yeah. that be attractive to to someone like that? They're, yeah. they're, they really lean into that stuff that gives it real teeth as opposed to just being like a Twilight Zone gotcha moment. Or like an Outer Limits twist, yes. basically. Yes. Yeah, it, it 
the thing that my mom said to try to get me to stop freaking out and crying about being trapped in the Matrix when I was 10. (laughs) was like, Gita, if you were in the Matrix right now, literally would it matter? And that stopped me dead in my Damn. tracks for like two months. Also, not sure <laughs> like, that makes me feel better about it. Uh, like, you know, <laughs> no. Get me started on that nihilism track early. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess that's that's the other question I have is that I remember like it, it's hazy. Like I absolutely saw this in the theaters like a couple times uh, with friends. Oh. Like first time I was like, I have no idea what this is. Next time I was like, I want to see them fuck up that office building lobby again. So let's go. <laughs> absolutely. Yo, I will that go scene off the chain. That <laughs> yeah. whips. Love that scene. God. But I am curious, like, how did it how like how do you remember it landing? Because I think for me, the, the one thing I found kind of off putting was there was a lot of the movie did like did get greeted as kind of a uh mind blowing very serious like sci-fi film revolving around that conceit of like the matrix itself and like si- like simulation the the mm-hmm. idea of being like trapped in a simulation and uh like like breaking through its boundaries and on that front i didn't get to what Gita just raised a second ago, right? Like I didn't get to the get to the notion of like, well, actually, this is really a question of like personhood and mm-hmm. like self definition. And so, surrounded by like teenage boys in the like late nineteen nineties, yeah, you're not going to talk exper- about that. <laughs> yeah, my experience <laughs> of the Matrix was very much like, man, like it could just be a simulation. Man, we wouldn't even fucking know. This movie's so yeah. deep, and I'm like, it's cool. It's a cool premise, but like. It's there's a lot of Hong Kong action here that you just haven't seen yeah. before that you're yeah. digging. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think that might be what ca- what's carrying this. When I watched the movie again last night, I could immediately see now that I am like have gone through a completely useless four year education on cinema studies. <laughs> it's not actually useless. It actually makes me qualified only to do this job specifically. Um, but you see the specific pieces that they have taken from cinema that has been influenced by them when they do the I know Kung Fu like fight scene right after that. That's just pure Hong Kong Kung Fu wire action. And I can see the ways in which it would have just visually blown my head out the back of my skull. Because in 1999, when this movie came out, not a lot of the cinema was actually accessible unless you were a major cinema nerd like uh, the Wachowskis are. Um and furthermore than that, like, I don't know. I think I was hit. It, it hit me at the right age. But I hadn't seen a lot of things. You don't see a lot of things when you're 10. You know, yeah. everything's yeah. new when you're well, it's 10. All ga- it's all gated by your parents. Like, basically yeah. how. Uh, Unless it isn't. You, you could, well, that's what yeah. I mean. You can view it. You know, you, you can have the parents like me who are like, well, I'm just not really going to gate very much, but I'm going to be the gatekeeper. I'm just ch- mm-hmm. choosing to like, you know, analyze how much my kid can handle and like go from there. Or I think mm-hmm. what you're alluding to, Kata, was just sort of like. Go to the video store, pick it off off the shelf. As long as it doesn't have sex in it, I guess you could take yeah. it home. Or, yeah, that well, was the big objection for my parents was, does it have sex in it? Yeah. Yo, but all of these people are get fucking shot in the head. Yeah. <laughs> the brain, their fine. brains are hitting plastered against the wall. Like, fine. I feel like I've told yeah. this story before, but my, 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 my childhood, my parents were very strict. Um, 
they were very much the, like, you're not seeing a PG-13 movie until you're literally 13. It doesn't matter <laughs> wow. if it's the day before. Oh, no. So yes. funny. <laughs> but but the one thing that they trusted for some reason out of, like, everything in the world was the library, which is, like, a fair. It's, like, a good – our library was a good institution. Like, we knew our librarians very closely. I worked and, like, um, I volunteered at the library, like, all the time, um, oh. which is where I, A, read – uh, the fucking Hannibal Lecter films when I was uh, uh, books when I was like <laughs> thirteen and B where I got my hands on the Matrix when I was twelve. They had a DVD in the DVD section, like brand new, mm-hmm. basically, mm-hmm. and that was the only way I was gonna get to see an R-rated film that early uh, because yeah. I was like the librarian said it was okay. They let me check it out <laughs> with my library card, and my mom was like, "Yeah, okay." Work. Sure, I guess. Uh, and they recognized a future goth when they saw one. Like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they absolutely, um, like, luckily, that's how I got to see it. Because otherwise, I tef- definitely would have never been able to watch this movie otherwise. And that was also part of the argument I made in 2003 when they were like, we're taking you to see what now? I was like, I saw the first one already. And they're like, I, I guess. I guess. Yeah. But this Very is the only good. R-rated Very movie good. you're allowed to see. We're not, we're not, it's, it's, uh, but yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah, my um, part of it also, I think, I remember the, the shiny brand new DVD. DVDs were a brand so new I, technology. Yeah, that, that was going to yeah. be my point. I cannot, yeah, yeah. Yep, I cannot separate. The movie made a minimal impact on me on, on a theater. But when, mm-hmm. like, speaking to, like, accessibility of cinema... And like getting yeah. old enough to care, having like mm-hmm. the money to be able to like invest in a device or like convince your parents to 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 get one for the home, um, was like the Matrix DVD came with the DVD player that our family bought. Like this was like, <laughs> a fucking wish. It came with like, as far as I know, every DVD player. At least I remember. <laughs> I, I, it's the kind of thing that if you went to a like a Goodwill in or a, it, just a garage sale like in the early two thousands, like you would just find stacks of the the uh the cardboard plastic um matrix dvd that was like bundled with all sorts of um uh different dvd players because like because that's where i ended up watching it over and over and over mm-hmm. again because mm-hmm. it became this set piece movie to show people like man why do i need to like what's a d like we were one of the first i was into video games thus yeah. i was always kind of like dragging my parents towards like we got computers because I was into that stuff. Like I was dragging them to new technology and the whole family appreciated, but I was always the one getting us there and the DVD, like hooking that up to like, you know, the, the family CRTV and then being like, when even like your parents could tell like, Oh, Holy shit. Like this looks amazing. (laughs) Um, so the matrix was just on constantly because family friends would come over spots. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I remember navigate a menu. Like, like look at me. My my dad is very much, he's into his tech toys. You know, he got my, my older brother, super Nintendo, largely big part because it's like a cool technological toy. He wanted me to bring the switch home when I got my switch because he wanted to see like how it works when you put the switch in and out of the dock. My dad wanted to be, yeah. He wanted to say he had those things, but had no understanding of what they were or how to use it. And so it became very easy to convince my dad, like, why we needed an early computer, like, oh, yeah. why we needed to get Hell cable yeah. internet. And he'd, he'd be totally long for the ride. And then when people would come by the house and be like, 
so I don't know how this works. Let me go get my son. And then like would drag me out to like show it to like his friends yeah. who were over to have some beers and like explain like how, yeah. how it all worked. But that's yeah. a similar situation, but just for, yeah. for different justifications. Yeah. And I remember the Matrix was an incredible demonstration of what a DVD player could do because not only did it have like, oh, all the features of a DVD that were then brand new to people that were used to watching things on VHS, like a clearer picture and the ability to skip scenes and chapter select. But it also had commentary and a huge, huge amount of special features. Yeah, they how was this shit made? Yeah. Like, if you didn't yeah. read a, like, Fangoria magazine or, like, one of the few limited, like, publications that attempted to explain how this shit was built. Like, special features. I watched every single one of the Lord of the Rings yeah. special features on the extended Same. editions. Yep. Like, Same. <laughs> because I was just, like, endlessly. Now, granted, I was, like, stranded in San Francisco with an internship with, like, no friends. But I was also just, like, deeply, like... It was just an entryway into understanding how this thing is built in an era in which there wasn't that much accessibility into understanding how that stuff was built. And DVDs were the first time that mm-hmm. you could do that. And it felt cool. It wasn't reading a magazine article. Like you were watching a 15-minute video featurette. Especially because it's just so much more accessible in terms of explaining conventions of how to make movies because you can just see it with your eyes. Right. And they were like on that set inventing brand new ways to feel the motion picture. So you get, it's an incredible document. (laughs) Like you look at it and you're like, these are behind the scenes featurettes on a movie that they did not even know was going to revolutionize and literally change all of cinema in its way. Well, you saw, you you, uh, did you all see Will Smith, like the video he put out some months back explaining him turning down like the role of Neo. Like he was like- (laughs) No, I haven't seen him, please. Yeah, he was, I mean, I was with his famous like, he was, you know, like letting major actors offered like, a, you know, a, a huge mm-hmm. amount of like would be iconic roles that they passed on for a million reasons. But it was so funny when he was explaining passing on Neo because he went and had a meeting with the Wachowskis and like was given the presentation on like, here's what the film was going to be. And they were trying to explain like how the camera would like go around. And he his response was like, this shit doesn't make any sense. I don't know how this is going to be an interesting movie and bounce, which is like, I think like a fairly reasonable response. If you were like being told in what must have been 1997, you know, 96, yeah. like movies take a long time to, to gestate, produce and come out um, to, to figure like, I don't know if I'm going to hitch like, you know, to, to this wagon. Now granted he, as he self-admitted, he, he literally hitched his wagon then to wild, wild west, a movie that produced yeah. a great song that I will defend. So worth it in the end, because Keanu Reeves getting this role was better anyway. And it's funny because he, he mentioned that, uh, at the time it was going to be, uh, Morpheus was going to be, uh, white and, and, and like, he was going to be the black main character and he was like, I think it worked out better for everybody involved. I think he's right. But it's just yeah. interesting to have had that perspective where someone gets the pitch and just goes, you know, until you can see it, it's and it's easy now with like mm-hmm. uh, to be able to look back and be like, look what they did. Look how incredible it was like. But I can also imagine that being you know, like the Wachowskis were had like a long film history that explained they were going to be like iconic action uh, yeah. director. It's <laughs> like so I could see how, how you might look at that and go. Maybe I'll do the the easy uh, blockbuster yeah. action movie. A instead. movie that I understand what's going to happen in it and what it <laughs> yeah, will. Wild Wild like. <laughs> yeah. may not be good, but it makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I I look I watched this again last night because, frankly, you know, if we want to talk about our relationships to the Matrix, 
this movie is, I think, the origin point for a lot of people's just love of movies as craft. Mm -hmm. And it certainly is that Mm -hmm. for me. Um, When you look at it, it's still so beautiful, (laughs) still so beautiful all these years later. And it's a perfect way, it coalesces all of its influences into something totally, totally brand new. And when I watch it now, what I also see as it is sort of like an origin point for the actor that Keanu Reeves has now become. Because uh, the one thing I remember when we watched The Matrix was everyone complaining and saying, oh, this movie's so great, but Keanu Reeves can't act. Mm-hmm. And now that we understand him as an actor more, we you can like see him in something like a John Wick, where he still has a really flat affect and he still is sort of gruff and doesn't serious emotes in very small portions on his face. He was figuring out his range. And like the, the matrix yeah. was, was like a movie that honed in on what is this, what is this actor good at? And yeah. like yeah. within yeah. that range, and like, that's so that's, that's how a lot of actors get sort of like pigeonholed into, into different roles. It's like, you don't understand yeah. like, like Nicolas Cage, right? Like, you know, there's an actor in which like is as good as what you give him and he will give you go watch pig. <laughs> that is like yeah. one of the best movies I've seen yeah. in the last decade. And like, he'll also do whatever trash is in front of you. And it's like, it just goes to show how critical it can be for like the creatives involved to understand what is an actor capable of doing? And then how do we serve a movie like that's also what makes the Will Smith seem so like seem so. Yeah, like, I can't. You know, Will Smith whole yeah. what this movie looks like, like. Totally, it would have been so different. Who does cool thing? A black guy who does cool things blackly. Yeah, like Bad Boys Two. That's all about fooling around with Martin Lawrence. That's what that movie's about. Mm-hmm. It was like being a black, a cool black guy. That does not really fit in here. The the genre of cool black guy that is most native to the Matrix universe is Morpheus. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other character, like the thing. That stands out in this movie and this watch for me was that the characters are are fully developed characters, but we don't know much about them as pers- people in their extreme exterior lives. So the things we learn about uh, Thomas Anderson, Neo, are things that just naturally fit in the mode of acting Keanu Reeves was already doing. You know, his biggest problem prior to this movie, I think, is that he just sounds like a guy from California. Mm-hmm. So you can see, you can feel him trying to lower his pitch of his <laughs> Suppress voice. Suppress the you know? surfer dude. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, it doesn't always work. I know Kung Fu just comes off as a California yep. guy saying that yep. every time. There's a reason but, it's a meme is beca- beca- yeah. because of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you can see him understanding like, okay, there's things about me as a person, as an actor, that I cannot actually change. But there are strengths I can play to. I can use this script to take my natural way of mode of acting and make it fit this character. So you understand that Thomas Anderson is a closed off loner because he's a man of few words. Uh, then and simultaneously, the things that make him Neo stand out as Neo is not necessarily his the, the affect of his voice or the way the emotes and his expressions, but the control he has over his body is fucking crazy in this movie. Mm-hmm. He like has the mobility and agility of a ballet dancer. That that wire um, Kong Kong Kung Fu, uh, I know Kung Fu scene, the fight between him and Morpheus is so incredible, especially because... Like, he's doing all of it, and just, like, his fucking... I don't know, when he does that kick in the end of the movie, and it just shows the shot lingering on him, just hyper-extending ex- his hip rotator cuff. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, I felt all of my years when oh I saw God. him do that. Yeah, I wanted to do that for the, my entire life. <laughs> like, I, I, took, I took kung fu lessons after this movie, man. Like, it was real. <laughs> yeah. I saw that shot, and I could feel my hip joint freezing. Um, <laughs> I... 
so I think I think something else I will like say about Reeves is that um, I, I feel like some like there is so much happening in a movie like this that his sort of like flatter affect provides both a stabilizing sort of presence, but also he also he ends up being a very good like he contrasts against every other performance in the film in a way that actually like I would love to act opposite Keanu Reeves because it would like his reactions will show your performance off to the best effect. I think about like um, the scene where the one scene I I always think like, Oh no, he and Cypher have like a whole relationship. They have one scene together. Yeah. But it is the fact that uh, like Cypher uh, like brilliantly played by Pantoliano um, misreads Nia yeah. and yep. tries to like identify and connect with him the wrong way. And you can mm-hmm. see Neo sort of like retreat in that conversation mm-hmm. and just like, I am not going to like get close to this guy. Like, yeah, yeah, it's a it, small it, thing, but it tells you everything both about like how Neo is reacting in that moment, but also really lets you get a sense of like, I know who Cypher is because this really is Cypher's big chance to see who he is beyond the monster he becomes at the end of the film. In the in this movie, you watch Keanu Reeves understand how to act the silence, how to act yeah. the reaction, and how how to signal how much the camera can actually pick up on very small and subtle body movements and facial movements. Uh, it's it's really really amazing to watch this because I, you know, I've seen Johnny Mnemonic, I've seen a lot of Keanu Reeves movies. I love Point Break; it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Before this, he was pure action star. In Speed, he's pure action star. They're trying to sell him on charisma, and he has a lot of it. But mostly what he has is this intense, very intense physical presence on screen. He is tall and lanky, and he has an incredible silhouette. And here he is understanding the power of literally just not saying anything. It's like we mentioned, um, you mentioned Nicolas Cage earlier, Patrick. It's like the inverse of what makes Nicolas Cage a great actor and what makes him the the maxim of Robert, Roger Ebert said. He's a good actor in a, in a good movie and an indispensable actor in a bad one. Yep. Uh, Nicolas Cage elevates a project because he forces everyone to meet him on his level of energy. He will <laughs> yeah. not relent. Uh, we watched, me and David watched um, Ghostbusters Spirit of Vengeance, the second one. Not Ghostbuster, Ghost Rider, yesterday, last night. I was not- like, you get early access to Ghostbusters? Nicholas Cage is it? <laughs> Holy that shit, would make I'm that all movie in. A lot better. Um, <laughs> they recast but- Venkman. Oh my god, if only they could just recast. What if all the ghosts were Nicholas Cage? That would be better. <laughs> um, but I watched it again, and it's, it's like, that movie has not only Nicolas Cage just doing some really, really absurd shit. Whenever the, the writer is trying to take over his body, he just starts doing doing a cage where at one point he describes it scratching at the door. And obviously that was written in the script as something that you just say. But he just says, it, he's scratching, scratching at the door. It's <laughs> incredible. He did, he did two of those, I believe. Yeah, um, yeah. He loves he loves Ghost Rider. I've heard um, he, he does, and I've heard, I've heard the second one is a uh, a culty uh, delight. Um, but Idris Elba's myself also in it doing a French accent, and you know that he is deciding to do this because Nicolas Cage is also there. That's what <laughs> Nicolas Cage does to a movie. Whereas with Keanu Reeves, when you're in a scene with him, you get to act, and he will absorb it in a way that makes the scene feel incredible. There's a monologue he does in this movie called The Thumbsucker about spirit animals. That is, I think, a very good example of this. Um, I will say a movie I I vaguely remember I really want to revisit. His 
one really like the the one really like dramatic mid nineties role that I remember from him, A Walk in the Clouds, oh. a nineteen nineties uh, like drama about a like marine coming back from World War Two to kind of like his whole life is kind of up and vanished uh, during the war. And so he kind of ends up uh, falling in with some citrus farmers in California. I remember the like poster very, for this. I'm looking at it now. I'm like, I remember I've never seen this film, but I distinctly remember it's, the, his boyish figure on the poster as I look yes, at it now. And to, to get his point about his physicality, th- this wouldn't have to be like, you know, this could be sexy as hell in the right hands. And I, mm-hmm. Don't remember if it. I actually remember it being an okay movie. Actually, it's just it was like one of those things where people had it so in their heads that Bill and Ted guy and Speed guy was not to be taken seriously. Yeah. That like I think, and also it was kind of a you know the 1990s were full of kind of boilerplate period romance movies. Um, this is probably one of them. But I've always been sort of curious to go see like what I would make of that now with how I regard uh, Keanu Reeves versus like how I would have regarded him uh, back then turning to the film. Um, I will say like, this is a movie that every time, like I always think I've got a really good memory of the matrix. I remember what happens in that movie. I know, I know that movie really well. And every time I watch it, I'm like, Oh yeah, this is cool. And I remember I, yeah. I like, <laughs> there's more going on here uh, than I thought. I think one of the yeah. things that I really dig here is that, Right from the jump, and I think it's kind of a, like imagine you're in the in the movie theater in the 1990s. This is kind of confronting. In general, in this period, I think we're moving to a period to an era where this is not the 70s or 80s anymore. Where like we're used to cops being like kind of the bad guys in a lot of films. Like it's 50 50 on whether to be the sympathetic <laughs> or antagonistic. Yeah, this movie opens with like you're gonna see like two squads full of cops get murdered and the entire like marked (laughs) the weird and the whole, the whole frame, the movie is so dark. Like the, these cops are rolling up into this like complete inky night after we hear the, Mm -hmm. the phone call between very film noir, especially with the color, way the color is graded here where the cuts high contrast, almost black and white essentially. Oh yeah. The lights are so stark. And then the agents arriving and that, that great line, you know, no Lieutenant, your men are already dead. dead. <laughs> and so it's like, it's so cool that it, it sort of disorients you because it opens like a horror movie where Trinity mm-hmm. is the monster. Okay. And it is so like, for what this movie is going to end up being, this entry into it where you're kind of, if anything, probably going into this building alongside the cops, right? This is very much the POV of the guys making the bust. Mm-hmm. And it opens with, okay, so Trinity is this like they are fighting these immortal monsters, um, you know, yeah. who like that's that, that's who the antagonist is at the start. And then it introduces us to the agent before the scene is even like before the sequence is even over. Yeah. The thing that I always remember as the moment where I was all in on this movie is um, the shot that's inspired by Dark City where they're running over the rooftops where it, it shows Trinity running. And like as a child, as a 10 year old, which is like, I could do that. That's easy. And then they show the adult men and cops running and they're struggling. And I was like, oh, OK, <laughs> like, incredibly, incredibly effective filmmaking because it's a simple, simple contrast. It's montage. You know, that's what cinema is all about. Uh, but also like the way that the, then that is when the perspective shifts. Right. That is when the perspective shifts to Trinity and what her emotional experience of the scene is where she's being chased and she like 
jumps over the rooftop and then flies, literally flies into uh-huh. that window. Yeah. And but you show at the end of that, she's vulnerable. She's scared. She yep. is terrified. And that is what allows you as a viewer to emotionally latch onto her. Her repeating get up, Trinity, get up, get up Trinity is mm-hmm. such a great beat. Uh, because because it humanizes her in a moment where like she's a superhero character, right? Mm-hmm. And this moment of like you know seeing her basically have to will herself back into action that like this last sequence has completely drained her, and also sets up for us the fact that there's something about the agents that is very unsettling yeah. here as mm-hmm. well. Because right now they just look like um, G men, right? Like they're, yeah, they're very yeah. intentionally. It's like yeah, they're feds. Like they're 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 just movie feds. Uh, and the I fact that like they they cast yeah. them very well though to be like the three most the same looking guy yes, almost yes, right like even yes. though they are slightly <laughs> different in that first shot you could almost mistake them and be like which one's you weaving again oh that one and also like weaving really gets quite hammy especially in, in later movies and the way that he enunciates his lines but there is a uniformity to how they inflect each sentence yeah. that they speak that is very unsettling when you see them show up so even if you are on board with the idea that cops are good in the beginning of this movie the way that the agents talk to other people makes them feel very like uncanny valley like not quite human yeah and part of what I like about this opening sequence and even just the, the glimpses we get into Trinity, how it sets up Trinity as a character is, and this is what makes me so curious about revisiting the second and third films and like where I fall with them now is like, this movie is so good at doing like hidden world building and exposition mm-hmm. in a way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that lets you start to f- figure it out yourself. I mean, there are, there are sequences in this movie, which like Morpheus says like, let's talk about what we think happened. And it, you know, cuts to, you know, a flashback like that is here, but like mm-hmm. by and large, this movie is so excellent at just suggestions. Like, like everything yeah. about this opening sequence is you just going, not even just what, but just like trying to grasp onto little things and like mm-hmm. using that to build a picture of the world that might or might not be here, what, what's in front of you, what's behind, like, you know, the, the entire se- when yeah. it, the sequence ends with the phone, the phone booth is like, oh, yes. like just oh, unbelievably good, oh. where you are just, it is such a holy shit moment. It oh, still, still hits her really hard. When you are, the, from the perspective of the fucking truck, that <laughs> yeah. is amazing. And you well, see and, her face unsure, the hand up against the glass. It's such an glass, iconic shot yeah. for me. Well, and just the fact that, like, they haven't revealed what the agents can do yet. No. Yeah. And so it's so cool that, like, she's on this empty street and the, tr- the the truck goes by. And then it pulls that bootleg turn. And, like, because it's an action movie, we're used to stuff like that happening. But in the back of your head, it does register. That's weird, though. Why would they, like, why would they have that truck? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. why would they be chasing her with that truck? Why would that yeah. be truck give a shit about this phone booth? Yeah. Yeah. Why is yeah. there this huge truck in the middle of downtown Chicago? <laughs> I'd also forgot I love, about that. I'd also forgot yeah, about that part. This is a stealth Chicago movie, dude. <laughs> well, it, all of a sudden, they, 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 you know, really rely on, they mentioned, like, Lake and Wells or something. I was like, wait a second. Is this that, a lot of Chicago? Yeah, yeah, sure. I was like, wait, what? End. You see, that's a blue line train, dude. That's a loop. Blue, that's a blue line train heading to the loop. But it's otherwise a fi- it's otherwise a film that isn't actually all that concerned that it's in. Sh- you know, like often yeah, it's, because Chicago again, is rarely featured as a. You, know, you watch a like Candyman, like that movie yeah. is like really concerned with like that's about Chicago. You, it's about Chicago, and here it's more in the same way that you know movies are always set in New York or L.A. This yeah. movie treats Chicago like it's just one of those cities, man. Yeah, we're yeah. in Chicago. It's like. 
you know, and I got a little emotional about it. I was like, yeah, I wish Chicago sometimes like got that treatment. Right. Just let us be a backdrop. It doesn't have to be Chicago. It's like, we could just be here. Well, uh, Jupiter Setting also set in Chicago, which I personally love. Saw that in a theater I in Chicago. Not, I have not seen it. On, it's on my Yo, list. Maybe, maybe this will be my moment to, the, to go the back The Goyles, the little ones, once they're at a certain age, they're going to go gaga for that movie. I guarantee it. <laughs> um, but I watched this movie. So the what it's, a, an, I think the Chicago-ness of this movie also is a really good example of that sort of hidden world building they do. Yeah. So uh, this is the one, the one story I have about this movie that I think uh, is very cool. It makes me sound cool. So I'll tell it. All right. And it's, uh, so they go here and then the next scene is Tom Anderson, you know, getting a message and following the white rabbit. And he meets up with these people who are clearly heading to a goth club and they're dressed like goths. And one of them has a white rabbit tattoo. So he follows. The club that they go to is just definitely Neo. The goth club I went to when I lived in Chicago that had been open <laughs> since 1979. In fact, it was well known that Wachowskis loved going to Neo and went there frequently. And more than that, they had club na- they had club nights named Morpheus and Trinity. <laughs> what? Oh, that's great. Where what, what neighborhood was the It is the- uh it is it's uptown, I think, in Lincoln something, like in one okay. of those. It's behind. It, it's now a daycare center. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that club movie in that in that club scene in this movie, it is literally Neo. If you have been to Neo, you know that that is what it looks like. Like oh, they wow. don't have to say, "Hey, this movie takes place in Chicago." You know, he lives uptown and is going to be going to yep. Neo to Neo tonight. And it's like just show you, show you the people that he lives with, show you who his awful like. Attic apartment with a slanted ceiling where he just sits hunched over a computer on the web all night. Is know? it awful or is it cozy as hell? This is a thing that jumped out at me too. Uh, so this is what all of Rob's like notes that. are about the Matrix. It's like nothing about the philosophy, but he has like six lines about this about this, this attic cozy apartment. Apartment, yeah. Look. I am just saying they're on the cutting edge here of like distressed or reclaimed aesthetics for mm-hmm. like the spaces these characters inhabit because like the place where he sort of meets up with the whole crew and like takes the uh, takes the red pill where it's like, yeah, it does look kind of run down, but also looks kind of cool. And like I just sort of camp out there and like all that looks like a great place to sort of like drape a little blanket over your lap and and read a book uh, and, and then like. You know, Morpheus is taking him to give him the history lesson on the world of the Matrix, and he's got those beautiful leather chairs. Uh, but I'm, I'm I was just sort of surprised that, like, on the one hand, there's a very uh, like very intentionally like the world inside the Matrix looks poisoned. Uh, it's got that like poison green pretty much running throughout. All the color palettes are muted, but I do find like. His his apartment and then the sort of hideout for the gang, while still recognizably in that world, do do have these weird, like very homey vibes uh, Mm -hmm. in a world that for the rest of it is very corporate glass and steel, Um, you know, very, very office max. Immediately after uh, that, um, the club scene, we watch him wake up and enter that, you know, steel glass skyscraper world. And you see how much he does not fit into it, despite looking completely identical. The only time he looks comfortable is when he's sort of living on the margins of that society, living in its ruins, which is, again, like it's the entire thesis of what's happened to humanity in the, the fiction of The Matrix in a very tiny package there, which is like, Machines have taken over everything and humanity is relegated to the ruins of the machines and the ruins of itself, really. 
Man, I love the uh, the office sequence. Like everything about that that part, <laughs> I do remember really well, and it just fills yeah. me with nostalgia. The coolest phone in the history of that mobile phone phones. <laughs> Do you remember how badly so cool. we all wanted that? Yes. Yeah. I was like, look, it's so small, but like the mouthpiece like comes jetting out. It's the coolest shit in history. And it's it's still cool. Flip phones but it is the back. size of a Yeah. It's it's enormous. It's the biggest phone, but also I remember you you could get like I think it was also a beeper, you could get like beeper stuff on it. So essentially it was the invention of text messaging there. And I was like, that's gotta be the coolest thing in the world. I could get, you know, someone could beep me on my phone. Crazy. I bet I would be a real hacker man if I got this phone. Uh, <laughs> they were you know, I remember so the cult part of the cultural stuff about this movie was also that it uh imagery and iconography from the matrix stuff that had been purely like relegated to essentially geek nerd and goth culture before this movie came out became mainstream everybody not only was getting those huge like duster coats but people were suddenly extremely interested in like cutting edge technology and people uh, on a really finally scale. started respecting dragula as a <laughs> that was, i was trying smash to smash cut to dragula i was going to take notes in this movie like i started something on my ipad and then yeah. i wrote uh, then I got too engrossed in the film and just set yeah. the iPad down. I was like, I'm fine. Like, I don't, I'm just going to take this in. And like the, the single note I took is like, the matrix. And then below that is just as Dragula. <laughs> like, yes! <that's> the only, <laughs> um, I mean, the sound, I, I, like aside, I was like, I remember really liking the soundtrack to this movie. Like it had a lot of, you know, like garbage and, you know, like, like yeah. it, it was a lot of staples of, of that era. And, uh, I, I remember liking, I, I think Dra- I, Dragula is a defensible, that is a defensible the song to Dracula like. Dracula is a classic. Rob Zombie th- is an auteur. <laughs> <laughs> Robert Zombie. <laughs> the other, so I can't, I can't shake this too, but it also, it just seems like those video game sequence when he's trying to escape that. Like the fact that Morpheus's introduction is basically the Nintendo helpline. Like trying to talk Neo through this escape sequence. Like, look, there's two ways out of this building. And I and I do love that it culminates in we go through all this. It's really tense, like cat and mouse game played among the cubes. Uh but once again, it's also our first moment of like Neo's a guy who like literally can't take the leap. Like Mm -hmm. he like his his crisis as a character is he's going to get right up into the moment like where he's he needs to do the thing. He needs to trust that like he can do this and this is gonna work out. And he won't be able to bring himself to do it. And mm-hmm. so I love the the cut from <laughs> just uh, just realizing he can't go out on that. He, he can't get past that girder to get to the scaffold to get away. Mm-hmm. And the cut to he's just, you know, going into custody. Uh, and we get our first sequence with. There is so much casting here that just works out perfectly. Oh, um, yes. It's one of the most immaculately cast films. And I think maybe the first character we're really going to get a taste for just completely having command of what he's here in this movie to do has, is Hugo Weaving. Oh, just the way he fucking talks is out of control. <laughs> the way he just like he luxuriates in saying things like this. <laughs> But also it's seethingly. Amazing. It's weird. He like slowly chews over these lines. Mm-hmm. But also like there is this tension crackling through him at mm-hmm. all times that we don't know the source of until much later uh, in the film. That's, yeah. like, that's that, one of my that's, favorite scenes. I, I never movie. picked as, as as you know, when I was younger, I never picked up on that element, like how that was being seeded through his acting, like so much earlier in the film, which makes that scene when I rewatched it like land 
a thousand times yeah. harder. Not quite <laughs> to the degree in which I empathized with him, but like it was it was remarkable to to then look back and realize like oh that's what informed that performance. It wasn't because I think you know you alluded to this you know, mentioned this earlier, Gita, like the way he gets so hammy and over the top in the second and third films, which I think has come to overtake like yeah. how we remember that performance when yeah. really it's like really understated it's until that moment late in the film in which he kind of goes mask off and ex- explains like how he feels about the situation and, 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 you know, sort of like these, these revolutionaries within, within the matrix, but it is so wild how subtle that performance is. And it is not just like a character tick. It is, it is like informing why, like, why this character feels so off kilter and yeah. why they feel so peeved by by their their task specifically feels more dangerous than the other agents right yes. mm-hmm. the way in that interrogation scene he goes as far as to threaten nia which is the other agents don't really do like they don't they don't see humanity as a personal front in such a particular way as this guy does he emotes in that scene which the other agents are also do not do for the rest of the movie and you see it upon watching it later this is you know because this beginning part of the movie is framed as a mystery story also, you get a lot of aspects of sort of tension and release. So you can see this person's tension, the tension they're bringing into the scene, that informs everyone else's performance in it as well. A, a very good example, again, of Keanu sort of reflecting the energy that he is being being brought into him, um, where he sits there and he receives this this sort of tense man's interrogation and his response, which I still think is iconic <laughs> Keanu Reeves line to this day. How about this? I give you, you the you finger and you give me my phone call. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So great. I well, know my like, rights. <laughs> the way that he's both prepared for this because he's a hacker. And so he's always expected mm-hmm. he might have to eat a bust. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also the fact that, yeah, he's seen movies. He knows what he can get away with in this scene. And the realization, <laughs> like, God, Smith, the way Smith, like, returns that with, like, sure, you can have a phone call. But and then, <laughs> like, takes yeah. away, like, we now take, uh, like, uh, like, CG and live shots like that for granted. The ability to just sort of morph a frame and, and, and like, morph a character uh, with CG. But, like, fuck, that's horrifying. Like, yeah. I, I remember, like... God. Oh, it fucked my the shit thing. up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The two freakiest things happened in this one sequence. Because, like, first there's the... His mouth being trapped inside his skin... And then there's the bug. Ugh. Oh, the bug really scared me. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the, those, the, the bug, the mouth, and the pod sequence are are all relatively close together. And the like the amount of body horror like in this film, and the degree to which it presses on that, um, the, the, the sequence of the cab when they remove the bug mm-hmm, are all mm-hmm. like. I don't none of that maybe because it's just like you're a kid and like that stuff flies over over your head in a way. Um, but I I was like deeply unsettled by multiple yeah. Yeah. like all of those sequences, especially the the pod uh, sequence in a way that I <laughs> I just didn't remember. I like I was like well, these are this is a horror film like this is like the shit that I'm usually watching and being yeah. like, you know <laughs> yeah. other people are looking at me weird and and this movie is just mashing up a bunch of like tones and imagery that. I think, you know, looking at it now is part of why it remains so effective. Like, yeah. is its ability to whiplash between those things and yes. yet it feel completely consistent. Um, and, and, and the fact that it, like, can lean into the body horror without 
being explicitly grotesque. Like that's part of the genius of how those are shot and scripted and executed is that freely when we say body horror, it's you're you're thinking even on the PG-13 spectrum, it's like poltergeist and like the flesh coming off of your face in the mirror mm-hmm. sequence. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's always gore. And like here it's just, it's tense and unsettling and mm-hmm. much is left to the imagination. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, um, it's more like the fleshy VCR from Videodrome than it is yeah. like yeah. A, a shock horror kind of thing where it is just an aspect of this world and you have to deal with it. <laughs> the, the pod scene, like not only is it like a literally just a cruel mockery of birth, right? He's naked, he wakes up in a pile of goo and then he's flushed down a tube, you know? <laughs> That's just what happens. <laughs> but it, it Oh looks no, like- leave me here. It was so much better here. The real world sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, thanks, mom. Um, <laughs> it, it, it looks like an H.R. Geiger illustration. It looks like it is literally yes, out yeah. of a set out of an alien set piece that was just not used. If you, you know? told me, yeah, if you told me that was like he had collaborated on this and I, I, I just didn't know that, I yeah. would believe you because it really does feel like this is ripped straight from like that original alien film. Yeah. And I think this is why those abandoned spaces also have to look so cozy in the Matrix um, because the, the act, like the thing that should be shocking is not that these people like live and work in a bunch of abandoned buildings. The thing that is shocking is going from something that had any resemblance to what our lived reality is to this. That something yeah. where like they pick arachnid forms for these robots for a reason, right? Like we our bodies have a natural, I have a huge spear of spiders and my brain just has a natural response when I see anything with that many legs. It's get the fuck away. Get away from that. <laughs> Too many Agreed. legs. That's, yeah, that is not a, f- I don't consider that to be a phobia. I consider that to be a natural fucking response to something that is weird and (laughs) shouldn't exist. Or it should exist in the the corner and it should eat flies and it should stay the fuck out of my way. We can coexist. I just I just can't see you. We've evolved to reject fucked up shit. I'm just obeying my nature here. Uh, Uh, So the yeah, the other thing that I think I I forget how this would have landed when I first saw the film, but the degree to which it's willing to sort of like, once again, we have a hard cut where he's waking up from a dream. And for a minute, Mm -hmm. the movie seems like it's head faking that like, hey, maybe we're in like nested dream sequences here Mm -hmm. because we go from the bug to him waking up and like, that didn't happen. Oh, that rules. That's one of my my favorite head fakes in the film. By (laughs) like, that was real. (laughs) He's like, he's is both him as audience surrogate. But yeah. also, like, it's... Just, oh. <laughs> well, and, like, we get the cool little things I never caught before, the fact that, um, oh, gosh, the, uh, the, the first thing that Switch calls him when she pulls the gun on him as he's starting to freak out in the car is she calls him Copper Top. And it's a weird thing, but sort of, sort of the fact that, like, it's the nod to the fact that he's still in the battery farm. And I just got that for the first time today. <laughs> that rules. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, so there's, like once we yeah go Kato. There's also something interesting that happens in this specific scene that I think it like kind of recurs a, a few different times throughout the film is a kind of literalization of a metaphor. There's that mm-hmm. moment where he's about to leave the car, and Trinity tells him like. You've been down that road before. And normally in a a different movie, like, 
the the shot stays in the car because that is not literal. Not she's not she doesn't literally mean that road, but it shows you a shot of the road. It does literally mm-hmm. mean that road because the metaphor is the matrix itself, right? You've lived yeah. this life, you've lived this this in this world already, right? And like that's yeah. one of like without having seen it, like I didn't really understand why it cut away there. Like it seemed kind of awkward. Mm-hmm. It's like does she literally mean he lives at the end of the street? It's like oh yeah. no, this is about this space being the thing that he's trying he needs to escape yeah. from right this road means all of chicago all of planet earth yeah. you've been a wanderer <laughs> you have rejected this call and we're gonna show you this road you know as martin scorsese said cinema is a matter of what is in the frame and what is out of it yeah and this is a really good example of that particular like this movie is pure cinema for that reason. (laughs) It is very careful about when it shows you an image and how it pairs that image with other context in the movie. So there you go. Go ahead. No, just uh, like, we'll probably get more into this theme as the film becomes more explicit in this, but I think this is one of those interesting places where the film as it received and then how our understanding of the film has evolved, especially in light of uh, the Wyskowskis coming out as trans women like changes our relationship to the film a little bit because I always sort of felt like some of this you can't blame on the film because it's it's fandom. It's like the fight club problem where like <laughs> shitty people adopt the film and are like, I didn't get it. I'm be, watch me be a big fucking idiot with this film. Yeah. And like they sort of define a part of the fandom. But I do think even setting that aside, like to a degree when we have the you've been down that road before speech, on the one hand, it's very easy to read as uh, X or disaffection in some ways right. where it's like Neo, like all that's waiting for you down there is your corporate job, man. And like being a conformist to the suits and all that. And we're going to have you join our cool goth kid resistance uh, to sort of break, break out from that. And I think it's much, like, it, it doesn't take long before the film is introducing this idea of no, like, there's actually other conformity here that yeah. we are mm-hmm. concerned yes. with in this film. There are yeah. ideals that we are being held prisoner by yes. that we are concerned with here. Mm-hmm. But I do think like in the film, the idea that it could just be that man, the world in nine to five, you got to reject that shit, dude. If you want to <laughs> if you just want to watch that film, yeah. it, it will let you like, you mm-hmm. can, you can read that, you know, what, what's down that road. I think it's ambiguous at this moment. I think it's very easy at that moment to think, yeah, man, like, don't go back to your office job. Join the join the resistance. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not what the film is. But I think yeah. a lot of people for for a long time, that kind of was the Matrix was like this vague idea of counterculture without a culture that you're like building on your own. Yeah. You know, you can see I, it's difficult for me to now to, now that I like think about ideology all the time for me to watch this movie and not understand it as competing ideologies. Right. But the characters, they are characters and they have internal blur- minds and stuff. But, you know, Cypher is just intensely just a mouthpiece for a nihilistic ideology. Right. He is nihilism that is being that is in competition with whatever, you know, what Morpheus is trying to talk about. Uh, I'm not not sure exactly how I would describe his ideology other than intensely believing in Jesus Christ. Um, like, <laughs> like that's just basically it. Um, very, he's like all those guys, all those cool uh, scene Christians in my high school that had me go to their hardcore yes, shows at their church yes. youth group where you couldn't swear because they cut off the mic. Um, 
one time the band got purely just kicked off because as the guy was screaming into a microphone, he's like, sorry for all the fucking profanity. And then unbuttoned his shirt and it just said 666, I heart Satan. And they gave him <laughs> out. <laughs> they cut the cord on that set. And, and that's how done. Neo wakes the people up. Exactly. Weird. That's crazy. That's I know. Ending to the Matrix. Um, but it's it's also like. If you want to look at this movie in a surface level, you can understand the red pill to be anything, waking yourself up to anything. But the movie's philosophy is actually pretty deep under the surface. They continually ask Neo, what does it mean to you to exercise free will? Mm-hmm. What does that mean to you? And by the end, he makes a choice on what that means to him. It means being his own person, making his own choices and believing in himself as Neo rather than Thomas Anderson. And you can see here how, like, it feels this is such a meaningful film for trans people because all of these things really do line up with the experience of understanding your own gender. There's also a lot of different other readings you can make of this movie, and there's aspects of that that complicate it, like where does Cypher work in that metaphor if this is purely about trans, you know, trans, being transgender. But it, it is the question that the movie wants to ask is like a question that transness also explores. I think I feel like the, the one of the things that the movie actually does really great is it works on uh, it works on uh, like saying different things about uh, structures. Right. Like um, mm-hmm. obviously, like there's this idea of like the systemic the, the systemic uh, oppression that allows a certain uh, group of people to live, quote unquote, normal lives while it oppresses everyone else. And mm-hmm. That also ties into like being queer, right? Like the idea mm-hmm. of heteronormativity being the system that is upheld by people living lives normally and not like helping queer people who are being oppressed. And I mm-hmm. feel like that's kind of where Cypher's part fit. Like, it still fits, I think. Like Neo's personal journey is absolutely also uh, is about that transness but then overall Mm -hmm. the structure of the film also is like and that applies structurally right the idea that like um uh the more people become aware and um kind of self-actualize the more they will be able to help other people and have empathy for other people outside of like their kind of comfortable lives is kind of one of the other things that I think the matrix does really well to do to like kind of weave these two things together. Right. Like yeah, that's where Cypher that fits whole... in. Cypher's the yeah. like, I just, I don't want to think about how people are being oppressed. Like I want to go yeah. back to brunch. Literally. Yeah. I want to go to eat yeah, this Yeah. He really does right? want to go back to brunch. <laughs> right. Oh, like... <laughs> oh, he would absolutely be wearing a pussy hat. <laughs> the kind of Jimmy pants, baby. <laughs> I do think so. What, what's great in the sequence, though, is I think I end up, I come away with a bit more sympathy and understanding of Cipher. Watching Morpheus's pitch in this movie, and it is a pitch. Like the, that is the part that sort of jumped out at me is the degree to which Morpheus is doing a lot of like cold read tricks on Neo a little bit mm-hmm. in a way that like landed differently with me this time than it has in the past. We're like in the past, it's like. Oh, yeah, he's here to, like, sort of open your eyes and, like, guide you to to the pro- – like, to, to show you what the actual, like, world is and, like, help you understand what the what the problem is. But this time, you know, when he gets taken to the headquarters, um, you know, Morpheus is already kind of this living legend. And there's – the one – the thing that jumped out at me was um, when he asks Neo about this, this feeling of destiny – 
And a very vague throwaway question, and Neo's just like, I don't like, yeah, I don't like, you know, thinking that uh, my actions aren't under my control. And Morpheus is like, I know exactly what you mean. Like, this very deep connection. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this ain't shit. This is just like this is like this is also how a direct marketing scheme opens up. Like if well, you you get I mean you get you get the sense that and this this is I'm with you, Rob. Like this is something I didn't pick up on until this this kind of watching the film was like I mean you know even towards the end when they're waiting for for you know Neo to to, you know to get back um and you know and they're there's a deep skepticism of of Morpheus like but also Mm -hmm. they don't have anything else. Right. Yeah. Like that's the sense that you get is like, yeah, like when they go to the Oracle and you and it's like, well, Morpheus has done this before. He's, yeah. he's found the one again. And like, let's do this all over again. <laughs> but it, but this is a world in which Morpheus is all they have. Right. Like mm-hmm. this notion that, yes, we will find the one we will find someone who can be uh, like our leader, who can give us hope. Like Morpheus is the one. He's at least given them something to hang on to. Like it's a yeah. shit life that they have. Like but, that's where that's where you like you yes, like in, in the way we do like the broader readings of the themes of society with like a cipher, like fuck that guy. But like in the day, it's like it let, you know, I don't know how long that they've been, you know, jacked out, like and are living in like this crummy real world where they're eating, you know, beans every day. Like that sounds fucking miserable. Yeah, like, it does. Um, Not and even it beans, just goop. Just yeah. like, yeah, like, just like all their breaking point. I think Suffer says something like either nine or seven is the number six years that he's been out or something. It was like years yeah. that he's That's been out. That's a long time. That's a long time like, since <laughs> you've last had a steak, since you've last had a burger. Yeah. You understand, like, not... I mean, it does tie into this ideology thing, and it also ties into, like, yes, you know... To understand like how much things need to change in order for there to be actual real social like broad social justice, you do understand that you have to give up some shit in life. Like right, I think right. everyone is kind of be at the point where they're beginning to have a conversation with themselves about meat consumption, for instance. You know, it would be incredible if we could go back to a world where no one ever had to think about that again and just get jacked right back in. It would like we have to be honest with ourselves that that is true. Like giving things up sucks. Morpheus, though, he finds a way, he finds an ideology that guides him through this moment, whereas Cypher rejects it utterly and is like, mm. nothing could have been better than how society was before. I don't, so the thing that, but the thing is, Morpheus doesn't explain what anyone's signing up for. Like, no, it's a very, doesn't. it's like a very fake He's very Professor X in that way, you know? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> his recruits... Nobody can explain what the Matrix is. No, 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 no. You could, but once people are out, they're out and you got them. And mm-hmm. so, like, the thing that I do have, it's different because this is all going to be through the story of Neo, the Messiah figure that Morpheus has had everyone waiting around for showing up. So, like, we arrive as the prophecy is coming true, right? But, like, I think the other, like, another dynamic of this is if you are just one of the early apostles following you're not even following like christ you're following like john the baptist around like yeah someday 
someday the one's gonna show up and it's all gonna be cool in the meantime it's not gonna benefit you probably like you're eating your egg white paste you're still gonna gonna eat shit but you know I could get better if we just keep you know shoveling dirt He's close to Moses in that moment when Moses strikes the rock, right? Like this is, this is, if you get the sense that if this does not work out for Morpheus, he is going to strike the rock and God will never talk to him again and he'll never see the promised land. You know, he's led his people out through Exodus out into the desert, out of Egypt, and they are getting very testy. There, Many of them are still true believers, but it is also that you can't go so long without hearing the voice of God. Like you can only go so long without getting any evidence that this might actually be a real thing that they can have faith in. Well, and specifically we don't, it's not until the future films where they, they talk about Zion, right? Like that there yeah. is a last city of, of, of mankind. And, but that's just talked about here. It's under threat yeah. in this film, but we don't see it. And so our only sense of community, like what keeps these people connected to one another, uh, Socially, like, is this little like faith submarine? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this submarine. We the do not cube. get, yeah, and we, yeah, we do not get any chance to see like, well, what can you go do in in Zion? Like, what mm-hmm. what, what are your options other than being stuck out here on this vessel? Because you get this, you get the sense that yeah, Zion may exist, but it's too risky for them to go there, and mm-hmm. so they're stuck on this submarine until they get a nuclear weapon. <laughs> and yeah. like this Neo is, a- is the nuke. This is a very tightly written film. Uh, you notice we've all been able to like transition from scene to scene very seamlessly because each yeah. scene, like it ends and the next scene is a logical progression of that action, even if it's not a literal next event in the timeline. Yeah. Um, so you do get the sense that like, this is again that aspect of sort of hidden world building where it, things are just sort of names are dropped into exposition or, or are part of larger parts of exposition, but not expanded upon where you do... There is no sense of how many humans are out, and you have absolutely no idea how big Zion will be. <laughs> it could be a dozen people. Like it could that be just like one more guy. You go there and it's the just gates. Zion. Hey, hey, we're going somewhere, guys. I'm Zion. Just hang it out. Here goes, I'm Zion. I'm yeah, just, Zion you know. actually is. The last city. It's the last city, but it's also a guy. And it's like, hey, we're going to we're going to Zion's place. Like, he's got a couple of couches. Yeah, come Uh, into my apartment. It's the last city of Gita. (laughs) See, this is and that's it. Like Zion's basically, hey man, what's better than this? We're living free. We're not in that. We're not in the matrix. We're just hanging out. Hey, what want some more egg white goo? I can just. I got some toilet wine. I made made some alcohol. You you want a drink? No, you don't don't like to drink gasoline. Mm -mm. Yeah, let's let's load up some kung fu training uh, (laughs) software and just like go buck wild tonight. Uh, oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, you were born outside the Matrix, so oh. you, you just hang out. We're just going to go into our little local construct. Mm-hmm. You just hang, you know, make yourself oh, shit. basically I, the I equivalent of a land party is <laughs> what they're doing. <laughs> I didn't really think about it. I, I didn't think about that that notion that of, like, if you're a naturalized, you know, baby, you know, born outside of that, that, yeah, you don't, you don't even, you can't even, like, Tank for funsies. Tank are the loneliest motherfuckers on yeah. that ship. Yeah. Yeah. hours on you that. Because you can imagine, like, even if you're, you know, a full-on, like radicalized like let's break down the matrix you know shit gets boring and like you guys want to go to the beach like yeah let's go yeah. to the be- beach beach <laughs> beach beach you guys fly the ship we're gonna be at the beach though <laughs> <laughs> so but I, I will say here um everything about i think in different hands the 
exposition because it is an exposition bomb carpet mm-hmm. bombing that yeah. uh, Fishburne has to deliver here. Uh-huh. Yeah. And he is such an engaging Larry. lecturer. Yeah. I love Larry. <laughs> Larry is just great. incredible. <laughs> it, it, in this scene, it, it's the tenor of his voice. And he, each sentence is said so deliberately with the emphasis on, on specific words really guiding you into what you as a listener who might not understand all of these th- concepts, what do you really have to know? You know, the idea of a human being as a battery, uh, that was something that completely blew my mind. And yeah. he presents it so simply. It's it's not just the way it's filmed and it's shot incredibly, but it it's that... You know, the way that it pans when it, he's panning out from the television and then it shows you, turns the human body from this into this, it is a perfect marketing pitch, essentially. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can feel the way that he has done this, sto- this same speech dozens of times before for maximum emotional impact, specifically to get that shocked or overwhelmed reaction that Neo has. Well, it feels very much like the, those scenes are pulling from uh like what Cameron establishes in like the Terminator films. Yes, like yes. of like how, you know, obviously those films have like large sections that actually take place in like the apocalyptic future. Yeah. But specifically the sequences where you're just getting a glimpse. Like when you see like mm-hmm. the nuke goes off and she's like up against the fence. And oh, like, you know, scene. like like the, all I could think of in those scenes was like this just feels like they're pulling from from that. Like how mm-hmm. do, how do we do that kind of world yeah. building? Um, like really, really great, quickly with like, a couple of visual effects that like also imply like a lot more. That great scene, I forget if it's uh, in the beginning of the first or second Terminator, where you just see an empty, barren landscape at night with like dust blowing in the wind, nothing. And then a Terminator blocks into frame and you can understand completely what has happened there. You don't need anyone to tell you that like, then that robot killed everybody. You know. <laughs> You're like, no, that <laughs> robot killed everybody. I grew up uh, understanding Terminator through the lens of Terminator 2 because like that, that's uh, what came out as yeah. I was How growing up. How old were you and- when that movie came out? Well, that's around this era, right? So like yeah. 1997. Like yeah, yeah. No, I think you're still in the age when you'd want your own pet uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger at this point, I feel like. Right, but I guess what I'm saying is uh, I I never, I didn't watch Terminator 1 until COVID. Like that was like one of the, I started going through movies movie. I'd never seen yeah. before. Mm-hmm. Um, I had always heard that film was more of a traditional horror film. Did not grasp what oh. that actually meant till I watched it. <laughs> that movie Whips, I actually, despite the fact that, like, Terminator 2 is, like, so uh, uh, ingrained into, like, teenage Patrick, Mm -hmm. um, younger than that, nostalgia, uh, the first movie is so much better. Like, the the first is is a far superior film to Terminator, I think, in in a lot of regards. It's a bit of the alien-aliens debate, I think, applied to Cameron's own. And and so it's a bit of my own taste, like, leaning in. But, like, this is just an aside to be like, if you've somehow never seen that because like you said, I seen Terminator two, what do I need to go see that one for? Like go back and watch it. It is such a different film mm-hmm. and like so cre- scary and creepy and weird. Schwarzenegger um, really is terrifying. Oh in that my movie. God. He's like, like Michael Myers. He, he He's is like un- the shape, you know? <laughs> he is, yes, 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 yes. Like he, he is unbelievable in, in that film. Um, so mm-hmm. anyway, uh, um, yeah, like I, I would, my heart is big enough for both uh, Terminators. But no, the point <laughs> I wanted to make was um, I think something we'll probably get to this more in the subsequent films, but I think it is notable here that we even in Morpheus's 
unpacking of what's happened here, um, which you expect to be sort of the somewhat like propagandized version of this. There is no Skynet situation where it's like AI immediately went bad and tried to kill us. There's the sense of like human and AI ended up at war mm-hmm. and it was a like knockdown drag out. There can only be one type of situation, but there isn't a clear, there is this clear sense of like, we kind of have lost the origins of this conflict. Yeah. All we know is both sides attempted to eradicate the other. Yeah. And that, that sentence where he says, you know, we don't know who scorched the sky. No, it's the it's other like way he, around. Or, or what he is says, it? He says, he um, says, we don't know who shot the first shot, but we know yeah, that it was, it was us that yeah. scorched, the, scorched sky. the sky. Right? I don't know what year it is. What a right? Like, yeah. that's, <laughs> yeah. the fact that he's like pretty sure what, like kind of vaguely yes. like how long it's been, but not knowing what year is also like a yeah. really good bit of yeah, world building to imply. Oh, shit. Yes, of the I lost just, history, the generations of, of, of life, of human life. We have access to history at our fingertips. That was just beginning to happen when the Matrix came out, right? Like people were able to, it was the global village suddenly, you know, everybody was able to understand a huge amount of information that was just, just not accessible internet search, before. Like web, yes. web crawler, like yeah. Yeah, pre-Google. To have this technologically, like, like a movie that's just drowning in technology and the promise of technology, to have it say, and ultimately what will happen when we destroy ourselves is that we won't even understand why. That, like, really hits you with a sense of profound tragedy. It had That was what I felt when I was 10, and that's what I feel now. <laughs> well, and the fact that, like, the, again, the as Morpheus is giving this pitch... We are surrounded by old things, antique things. We were watching an mm-hmm. old TV set with old like, uh, like branding on it. Yeah. Uh, it's very, like the the trappings are very analog and 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 pre networked. Uh, the like the aesthetics of Zion are like vinyl shop. Basically, is <laughs> yeah. is like yeah. you know what you but you the know, kind you where trust. they yell at you or like they they act really weird that you're in there just to browse and like they you ask if they have a record and they get mad at you. That kind of vinyl <laughs> shop though, but. But like that, that dread is there. We're already like on the one hand, this this film is very much like hackers are cool. Like the, mm-hmm. the whole like the net is awesome. But also like later in the film, we get the we get the uh, great Agent Smith line. I say, you know, 1999 was the pinnacle of your civilization. And I say your civilization because as soon as you started depending on us, it really became our civilization, didn't it? <laughs> and like the, this, this dread is there from the start. Like mm-hmm. in my head, I'm like, this is an iconic like 1990s. Like uh, you know, the the net the net is going to be awesome. The the future is cool. No, it's 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 really it's not just like what if the machines rise up. It's what if there's something horrific about the entire way this technology is about to revolutionize our society. Yeah, that is like undergirding it. It's hackers are awesome because it's rooted in the politics of hacking, which even then was was advocating for a free, decentralized internet, something that is very much under threat today and being mm-hmm. dismantled as we speak. It, it is it has to have the politics it does, because in order for hackers to be the good guys here, you have to completely buy into the things that they were already trying to do, liberate information, you know, liberate, uh, you know, make sure that the web stayed neutral and make sure that the, the web could be a decentralized space for everyone to access rather than a space that is dictated by, you know, the, the really the, what the machines represent here is the state. That's why they are... Dressed like like goons of the state, and they are um, 
he so often talks about them in terms of the state. In that scene where they do the training with the woman in the red dress, he's talking about how everyone who everyone who's not out of the matrix is an agent of the state, whether they know it or not, which is just like yeah. revolutionary politics, essentially. Yep. Uh, yep. And you see, yes, yes, like the, the 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 machines are also literally the machines, but it is like the threat of what technology can turn into if that cold steel and glass world of the the real world of the metacortex the software company uh neo works for if that is allowed to actually be the people who dictate the terms of technology i think it's like a facebook really it's also (laughs) very it's also really interesting and maybe this is me pulling a little bit too much on the other parts of the matrix that i've seen but it's also a really interesting look at the idea of um eventually you know, you oppress something long enough, it's going to fight back, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And it's kind of like, look, maybe humans don't fight back as quickly because there's a little too much empathy there or like there's a little too much fear of death. But mm-hmm. machines who can copy themselves and maybe have less empathy for humans as their oppressors are just going to fight back and like... Mm-hmm. Like th- that breaking point is going to come quicker when mm-hmm. they ha- also have like, you know, sentience. Um, yeah. And it's putting that is like the issue here is not that we made machines. It's that we oppressed them is the th- is yes. the thing that is going to kill us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we assert we created a hierarchy with machines on the bottom. Yep. And that was the thing that and it's was like, ultimately this- an issue for the machines. <laughs> right. <You know? laughs> uh, so. Let's let's talk about the woman in the red dress and the whole like. Uh, first of all, just passing it very briefly, but like to get his point earlier, I we get so little time with the crew of the Nebuchadnezzar, but they do seem really like. I'm like, I want to know more about all these people, and you, we won't. Yeah, no, right. you they definitely have. You know, just from looking at them, that they have had full difficult lives before yeah. they got there. They all absolutely look like hackers people who are computer nerds that suddenly are thrust into a greater cause something that they don't understand but they have to buy into because otherwise what else is there um and you get like if neo's life was hard then that means that all of these people had equally difficult lives living under threat of capture and and great violence and i I mean just the setup of you know, you get to style yourself in your ideal way, what you think would be the coolest way for you to look. That means that when you get to see them enter the Matrix again, you understand a lot about what these characters think is cool and what they identify with. Yeah, you certainly do. That 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 shot and, where we go round the phone and oh, reveal a team hacker. Yeah, I'm like, in. yes, <laughs> yes. Look at these avatars they've created for themselves. Those um, are the avatars. They're there to ruin your race. <laughs> it, it's it's also great. It's great because it like works both ways. As like we're thinking about the avatar, like video games, like the 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 digital representation of the self, and also the idea of a uh, uh, a mental image that you hold in your own head and mm-hmm. a kind of you know like this all ties back into the the trans narrative that's running through neo right like the idea of that being and you know we learn later after the movie's been out for a while that the character switch was supposed to literally represent this in a way yeah i think i forget in which direction but presenting mm-hmm. uh dif- di- as the opposite gender different depending on if they were in the matrix or in in the real world um, mm-hmm. But this is that's the scenes that these scenes that we're talking about are one of the first bits where it's like, look, there's a different 
self-image here. That's why you have hair yeah. in this one where outside you're still bald because you've been in the egg for too long. Yeah, because you're a little baby. You <laughs> never baby. used your eyes before. I, I do <laughs> think what really came through to me on this viewing of it was so much of the physicality of the movie, where the movie is about bodies mm-hmm. and what it means yeah. to have a body, as much as it is about what it means to be yourself. What does self mean? Where continuously Neo is asked to push past what he perceives to be the limits of his physical body. Really just sort of there's a thread in the film that again speaks to sort of the transness of this narrative that is about whatever you think your body should be naturally is not actually what your body is or has the possibility to be. Well, that's like, and so the the woman in red, like in in terms of things that have been recast, the scene does two things really effectively, right? One is that, yes, in an oppressive system, any person can at any moment be the executioner of the deviant, uh, of of the other, Uh, Mm -hmm. whether they mean to be or not at any moment because the system is the way it is. Any person on the street can become the villain of the story at any moment. But then also the way that is really brought home is, and here comes an idealized feminine form here to shoot Neo in the head. Pretty lady. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. God, oh, if only Jerry Lewis could have been yes. cast as Mouse. Oh, God damn it. Oh, we've been cheated. That would be amazing. <sighs> Do you like I the know, Do you like the lady in red? I don't know. He's looking over Godfrey now. I'm doing yeah. it now with all over Godfrey. Another way down. Um, but so, and then we do get, uh, you know, as part of his orientation, uh, Morpheus is fighting Neo. Like that stuff is still like really cool. Um, but I think the ne- the part that really lands for me is, is in part of this like extended orientation is like how much Cypher's treason is already there. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that when Neo walks in to find like chat with him, he like does the thing where he kills all his screens. <laughs> He's like, shut. Yeah. Uh, hey, let me close what's up? This window. <laughs> God. And yeah. And the way he can't help uh-huh. but betray himself, the way he yeah. cannot help, but like, Hey, I know what you're thinking. You're you're thinking well, this sure sucks and we shouldn't be here and doing any of this, right? Because part of it and is it's like that's not what Neo's thinking. Yeah, and and part of that's just you can see that part of that uh is is Cypher looking for a bit of um what's it called? Uh rationalization, like that he's still that he's doing the right thing. Like obviously we're all thinking it, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so I'm gonna be the one that does the 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 smart thing here. Uh, and he's like trying to a- pull out of Neo, like you just came out. You have to be on my side, right? Uh, it's definitely a little bit of the 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 guy that wants to buy of your hamburger sketch, and I think you should leave season two. Where it's like, uh, you know, I'm just I'm just saying I want some hamburger. I'm not going to you should give me all your hamburger. You don't have to. I oh, I'm, 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 I'm just kidding. I want your hamburger, though. You know, that's what it is. <laughs> I think it's so funny that uh, like it, it is eerie to me to think about like how uh, Pantoliano basically didn't age from the 80s. Like he's the guy he is in Midnight Run and he continues to be the exact same dude. For like the next 20 years, um, which is 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 kind of astonishing. Uh, but it's, again, like perfectly cast because there is this like there's an everyman quality to him that I think is critical to the role, like that he's not this 
cartoonish vision of like a Judas character uh, in in the middle of this. Um, you you get how he gets to this point, but also he's just such a fucking weasel. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 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 fact that he sort of shows his whole ass there with Neo, and Neo just quietly sort of backs away slowly, um, and we all hell breaks loose with the visit to the Oracle, um, which is a scene that worked way better for me uh, this time around. Like I'd forgotten how quiet yes. that scene is. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking that exact word. It is a you you breathe. You're allowed to breathe for the first time that movie moves at a breakneck pace up until you get to the scene and they give you only a very small moment of respite and it mostly happens in that waiting room where you watch all these other children who i keep thinking of as force sensitive that even though they're not sensitive yeah (laughs) Yeah. the padawans yeah 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 the younglings well they're gonna do great well also Um, she's she calls them the other candidates the potentials like from buffy the vampire slayer are they all potential ones yeah yes I know. Morpheus, it's, you ain't special. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got a, I got a living room full of ones. Yeah. yeah. It's, you really get the, like, Chicago assness of this movie in this moment, where it really is just like a Southside grandma's apartment. That's all that it is. It, <laughs> yeah, someone's, oops, I'm running a daycare. Yeah. Didn't, didn't mean for this to happen. Yeah, uh, exactly. Exactly. And you just get, all my all my kids just somehow started dropping off their kids and nobody pays for anything. <laughs> That kitchen, they make the effort to make it feel, even though it has that sort of green color grading, the sickly green over everything. And the fact the kitchen itself is very, very green. The cabinets are orange to offset the green tile on the wall. So you understand that she, despite being a part of the, you know, despite having a warm, embracing nature, there's something about her that is just intrinsically tied to the matrix itself and is inextricable from it. She's wearing green even. Like, yeah, yeah, it's (laughs) the whole. Yeah. But they make it feel cozy because her presence is cozy. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't talk in a lot of techno babble. She approaches Neo on a level that he feels comfortable with. It's the first time you see him as a character relax, giving you a cue to the audience. Like, you can relax. Damn, finally, I'm not talking to Morpheus anymore. (laughs) Basically, yes. Like, it's like, damn, I'm level with me here. (laughs) She's funny. Like the, one of the first, yeah. I laughed out loud when she says, "You're cute," and I thought, "I can see why she likes you." Neil responds, "Who?" And then she responds immediately, "Not too bright, though." I love that <laughs> that just killed me. Like the whole, like, even, so the, even the va- even the vase thing, the where vase it's like, so like "Don't don't apologize to the vase," and then she's like. But would you have hated it if I hadn't said anything? And the movie just keeps going. Yeah. And it's just like, yep. doesn't even give you a moment to like think through like, oh, like, yeah. I don't know. My actual favorite joke in this entire movie is when she gives him the cookie. It's like, by the time you finish this cookie, you're going to feel right as rain. And it's just like a jump cut to him in the car looking at the cookie uneaten. Yeah. <laughs> not, not. It's like, this well, bitch does not feel okay at all. <laughs> so that's the, but the other thing is, I love that. The Oracle, to some degree, tells you what you want to hear. And Neo desperately wants to hear he's not the one. Like, his, like, palpable relief at having her confirm for him that this isn't on him. He doesn't have to be the one to do this. But it's a shame. He should feel guilty at that relief because Morpheus is going to die for him. Right? Like, Morpheus would die for him. And, like, Morpheus is actually, like, for for these folks, way more the one. Uh, like they can't live without Morpheus. Sadly, Neo is just kind of a red herring on Morpheus's quest. Uh, it's another great moment from 
uh, Keanu Reeves because like you can see like he's a there's a bittersweet quality to like learning that he isn't as special as everyone hopes, but also like what? the the palpable relief. There's yes. also a great mo a great thing about the way she phrases it though because it's it leaves the potential there. Right. Yes. You have the gift, but it seems like you're waiting for someone. The one is a prophetic figure that is going to come, but not. It could be a, a number of people. It seems it's like not tied to one person. It's about the person who decides to do this is the one. Right. Yes. The person who yes. follows through is going to be the one. That's why right? she says maybe in your next life, you know, and yeah. it, it reframes the moment at the end of the film as. It could be a literal or metaphorical statement. In this movie, it's it's very much literal, but it is also metaphorical. Like in his life as Tom Anderson, he's still tied to that life as Tom Anderson. Yeah. He cannot choose to be Neo. But when he chooses to be Neo, he will begin another life. So, you know, this this culminates in the deja vu sequence and uh cipher but oh god, another great beat, by the way, mm-hmm. is when they are starting to call for an exit, Morpheus turns to Cypher and is like, give me, give me a phone. And Cypher starts to like pat his pockets, just buying time for Trinity to be like, yeah, I've got a phone. Here you go. Because, of course, <laughs> Cypher dumped his in the phone to start the trace uh, in, mm-hmm. in the trash to start the trace. The fact that like he's almost he almost blows it because like mm-hmm. no he's shit. about he to be called out for like, hey, man, where's your phone? <laughs> yeah. Like several times, actually, you know, later on where they get caught and he gets out of the building. Like Dozer doesn't buy it for a minute where he's like, oh, there was a car crash. It was crazy. It's such a bad story. It's so like shoddily put together. Uh, It's like you weren't even in a car. How do you get in a car crash? Later is in a building. He's just like, hurry up, get me out of here. There's agents. I'll explain later. And it's like, it's just he has no ability to lie. Like he wants to betray them so badly and he wants them to know it's him. The shot of the flop sweat pouring off oh his body oh in the God. chair as this uh, betrayal unfolds mm-hmm. uh, is, is terrific. <laughs> or him the coughing thing like a out- little bitch in the wall. God. <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah, that. That I love, scared me so much. I love that, too, as like a, a fucking moment of like there's a certain kind of like control over your body and your senses in the Matrix that these people are like training, right? Like to like break and bend the rules of this world. One mm-hmm. where like. Cypher wants back in. He's letting himself be completely subsumed by the Matrix and its rules. And therefore, Mm -hmm. that dust falls all the way down on everyone. Everyone comes out of there dusty. He's the motherfucker who sneezes, though. Yes. Right? He's the one who these things are still affected. Yes. Yeah, he wants to believe it's making him sneeze. So he sneezes. (laughs) Well, so the other thing that uh, in the sequence, this film, the thing I forget is how good the sets are in this film and how intricate they are. Like, I think there is like, it's easy to think about how the film uses process shots and digital effects, but I think it's easy to like underrate how well it uses physical locations Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I think that that was the thing that I noted most is like, this exists in like this Jurassic park era in which computer effects have not allowed you to compare. To, to completely take over productions in which like physical presence is still like completely required in order to pull off elaborate things. Yes. And yes, there are, there are occasional shots of this. Like when they pull out the, the wiggly robot worm that like looks pretty plasticky mm-hmm. now still holds up because the way the rest of it is shot in yeah. which the, the robot kind of disappears. But um, this movie shot now maybe even with these same creatives mm-hmm. would look so fundamentally different because like CG has just, 
poisoned people's yes. brains with the ability to what they can and cannot do on a set with physical objects. And this movie arrives at such a perfect time in which this the, the digital effects that are here are things that can only happen with digital effects as opposed to what happens in the era after this, which is how can we use digital effects to stop well, doing things yeah. physically? Because it the 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 sequence like you know when they when they break in and like things are exploding they might have like exploded some of that with like practical but like a lot of that would have been cg because it's easier it's cheaper mm-hmm. like you see the how we arrive at that path like so much of this movie feels tangible yes because the effects are just helping them either accomplish things they can't do physically mm-hmm. like the like be, like the bendy shots of you know yeah uh, the bullets whizzing by or are just so subtle um, in ways that enhance the physicality, like that, that stood out to me. So it's a movie yeah. that will still look good in twenty years. Yes, because like the CG that's there, yeah, it'll age, but it's artistically done really well, and there's still so much physical presence that it doesn't. You're not asking for them to remake it in the same way. The scene where they're in that wall, right? Oh, where fuck. they're they're. Yeah. You can see like the entire rest of the screen is blocked out, and you just see them in the wall, desperately trying not to get caught. Now that scene, if it was made in the Disney and Marvel style, everything about that scene would have been created digitally. You just know that. They would not have built out a place for actors to cling to a wall that they could shoot. They, mm-hmm. most of these... They would have also I mean, erroneously included the the rooms on the other side where like yeah. the fact that it's just blacked out is very important well, it's visually very there too. visually yeah. arresting because <laughs> yeah. the whole thing is like it shows you, it allows you to get into the headspace of the characters because you're not just being shown the literal situations that they're in, but a metaphor for their emotional state. They're trapped yeah. right now. Yeah. Here, look at how trapped they are, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you, if you want to go watch, if you go watch the, the new Shang-Chi movie, uh, which is like the the closest like the marvel movies like come to like trying to apply like hey this is a martial arts film but mm-hmm. also like in the superhero context like that opening sequence in in, in that film i'm sure you've seen it on twitter with the great twitter thread oh, of somebody like being a, the, yeah. the one california bus driver explaining yeah. like all the things that like mm-hmm. go wrong it's an incredible sequence like i think regardless like of what you think of like the the marvel movies sort of writ large but even in that it is full of like the plasticky bendy like cg um that takes you completely out of the scene even in one that is trying so desperately mm-hmm. hard to apply physical reality to something that is um hyper reality and the matrix like having just watched that Shang-Chi movie and then watching this back to back as much as I like those movies you then you look at this and it's like ah shit there's a whole other mode we could be operating yeah. in yeah. that a lot that that gives emotional resonance to these scenes that so many of these movies end up lacking if yeah. they were just the same film but a little more physical mm-hmm. and like that little bathroom scene is like such an incredible representation it, of these that. are moments that are choreographed to specific locations they are not sort of filmed in a great, huge green expanse and yes. then having the... the To space. be filled in later. Yeah. Like, what do we want to do? We'll, yeah. f- we'll figure it out, yeah. you know, in, in post. But, you know, having character... Being able to act against a physical set, having to punch through a physical wall, that will always create a different effect for the viewer watching it because I don't know if there's a good word to describe this exactly, but we are now uh, inured enough to the effect of what CGI looks like, especially us, us video game players. Like, <laughs> right. we look yeah. at digitally created images so often. We I know. hate it. I, it it's know. the thing that bothers me the most when I watch films and I'll, I'll, I'll make a comment about, like, oh, like the 
CG there really sucked. And, yeah. and my wife, the normie, is like, what are you ta- what are you talking but about? Like, I was like, oh, you have a pure brain. I, 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 I uh, want it. Can I mother- have it? I know. My mother-in-law literally asked me when that Golden Compass movie came out. It's like, how'd they get her onto that bear? Oh, uh, that rules. <laughs> I want to not be poisoned. That would be so I, great. But like you, that would make those can, movies you, land so much better. When you see it enough, though, you can really tell the difference from when a hand is touching a physical object and when it is yeah. touching something that was created in post. You you yeah. can re- there is something off about the weight. I don't. It, it's like yeah. the uncanny valley, but not just for humanity. But like we understand how human beings move around things. We do there's, that all the time. <laughs> there's also like. Uh, I don't like certainly not an expert in this stuff, but like I think the, I've heard the argument that an, another like thing driving the move toward more and more effect shots is that trades dominate a lot of your traditional movie shoots with like actual guild roles and trade trade roles. Uh, and so like set designers, set decorators, uh, you sort of the, the grips on the scene, all these things like m- like put certain constraints on on the shoot and also like uh, sort of fix costs at a higher point. Whereas now you can one go from one tax credit shelter to the next shooting scenes to hoover up all the tax credits, but also then all these traditional like jobs that would exist on a set can be replaced by non-union VFX houses uh, to, Mm. to sort of fill in later. But you can't convince me that like, you aren't suffering from the fact that the, first of all, these positions, these, the like set decorators, it's a skill. It's, it's a creative <laughs> form. Mm-hmm. And the the Wachowskis, when they do like speed racer, you can sort of see that like when they take complete command of CG, they will be able to realize a, a vision there as well. Uh, but here it is a film where, there are, you know, there is a director of photography who is like sort of shaping what this film is going to look like. The sets and their design and decor like shape what this film is going to be and give it sort of a uh, like physical rate weight and reality uh, and a sense of place that I think would not exist mm-hmm. later. I'm super curious to see what I haven't seen the sequels in a while. Like it's probably been about like 10 they years. Got, they have a lot more visual effects. That's oh, right. That's like so sure. curious that's, because because sure. the matrix land again, like lands right as this stuff is becoming like more practical and like integrated into Hollywood productions. And then those sequels are like the beginning of we're off to the races mm-hmm. where it, it's the beginning of like what could have been a good path. Like, well, anything is possible. Like things we couldn't pull off. And my guess, my guess is, but I don't know, but like, we're going to come back looking at those and be like, even they were like, you know, you, you just get drawn to it. Like you've seen every, you know, like I, I think Spielberg was fucking broken in terms of making blockbuster films with CG. Like go watch Indiana Jones. Like he, he just, once that became like a part of it, like he just like couldn't make like well, movies like, like that anymore. And there's sort of the sweet spot thing yeah. of like really good model work augmented by CG yeah. could look mm-hmm. immaculate and stunning. But the minute it was like, well, why even get the modelers involved at all? Yeah. It's like, no, you can't. Yeah. This cool. isn't going to be good. Yeah. It is so incredible. What I think is like a perfect example of this is a, one of, there is a, a screenshot of uh, Florence Pugh standing, sitting in a chair in a green screen room. And then the next shot is like her in the Black Widow movie with the entire rest of the room built in post around her down to like the table, <laughs> you know, that she was going to put and sit in front of. Then in this movie, 
I will forever for the rest of my life remember the chair that Morpheus sits in when he delivers the, the red pill, blue pill speech. Someone went to a store and they did not know specifically what chair they were going to get for this movie, but they found a chair that perfectly complemented what Morpheus was going to be doing in that scene. It is like a gothic, it happened one night, it's a sort of gothic, like (laughs) operatic moment. And they found the chair. It's a real chair. If you give that scene, if he was instead sitting on a CGI stool... One, you would absolutely know he was not sitting in a chair. You can, yep. It works so well because he's leaning back and fully embodying that chair. Lawrence Fishburne is a very big man. So when he sits and completely takes up that high-backed chair, he looks like Edgar Allan fucking Poe. Like, he just looks like an <laughs> absolute beast. He dominates the scene. And then also, like, it is perfectly capturing the mood and tone of what that moment has to be. If that was just, like... You don't know what that chair would look like if you didn't know what that chair was looking like when you shot that scene. The actors have no way, have no guideposts to understand what the so what the tone of the scene is supposed to be. Like the the people filming it don't know how to shoot that scene so that the chair can enhance or you know yeah. that what people are saying. That specific prop really create a focal point in the frame that wouldn't have existed if it was shot in the way in the Disney and the Marvel house style. Yeah, I mean, if and and the few. Like sometimes you'll you'll have uh, I think Ryan Johnson is actually really good in his commentaries about giving like credit to where different trades sort of contributed and like what uh, like uh, prop masters like found or what set decorators like discovered. And like all this stuff is treated as the character is not just constructed by the actor. Right. They're they're constructed by their props, by the things they they interact with. Those little princess sunglasses, you know, Morpheus is not Morpheus without those. God, when he puts them on after the Oracle meeting, after his moment of vulnerability, it's like, well, time to go to cool guy mode again. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that I'm is dying. cool guy mode for this one moment. Like, you are the only guy in the world who will be able to make that look cool. It's like, yeah, I don't know if this actually looks cool, but the way the conf- the confidence mm-hmm. that it is cool makes it cool. So the way <laughs> the whole difference in his like entire body language when he walks out of the Oracle scene, like do 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 do, time to go fulfill prophecies. Do 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 do. He's so happy to be there. He's completely in his element, do li- living up to this religiosity shit. You know. So, uh, and then of course we we've got like Cipher betrays them. Um, he sort of gives his heat monologues, commits the classic error of just like, shut the fuck up and disconnect them. And he's like, no, Trinity didn't notice me and I'm going to punish her for this. I by, thought you were like, a pretty lady, but you like this guy who has hair and is nice to you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that sequence though is, is brutal though the, as they're as they're all sort of massacred uh by by cipher um i think it is the 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 thing that i love that immediately follows this is the beginning of the agents figuring out like what are we going to do with morpheus we finally got him we finally caught the car right what are we going to do with it um and they realize like the plan is broken but it doesn't seem to have completely fallen apart so i guess we just interrogate him even though if they're smart they'll just kill morpheus um well they're looking for something very specific too right like yes they don't yeah. need him yeah they really blow by that exposition really fast it's very I, that one cracked me up when i was uh, watching this morning or the last night uh where 
Or is it Link who's just like, when his brainwaves turn from this to this, he'll tell them anything that you want. And they just cut away from that as soon as they possibly can. Because they know that they do not want people to think about that too much. They just want them to know. That's just a plot justification for a cool sequence. Don't sweat it. Don't think about it. Like, please don't. (laughs) And so we got the the thing where the agents and... uh, and and Tank both know uh, that the smart play here is to kill Morpheus, just to disconnect him and terminate him so that he can't give out the access codes for Zion. Mm-hmm. Um, Zion, no, no two-factor on yeah, that. Yeah, no two-factor uh, for Zion. God. But, well, if they were only on the blockchain, Rob. Yeah. Zion needs a fucking Yubi key. That's what they need. Yeah. <laughs> so... But I love here that like ne like the thing that's gonna motivate Neo to sort of step into his role as the promised one is I know what I will do. I will sacrifice myself to save Morpheus, who's frankly far more valuable than than I am, even though like it is a suicide mission. This will make me feel less bad about Morpheus having sacrificed himself for a fake uh for a fake chosen one. And then the Agents are just trying to break Morpheus uh, at the same time before, like, you know, they finally like before the humans finally wake up and and unplug him. And we get Hugo Weaving's like (laughs) Hugo Weaving dominates the rest of this film in a lot of ways, both as a physical like fighter uh, and also, though, as a performer here, Um, because the, the sense you get. He weirds out the other agents. This yeah. is another thing that didn't fully register yep. with me is that like uh, Agent Brown and Agent Jones, uh, played by Paul Goddard and Robert Taylor, um, they're the normie agents. Mm-hmm. And there are vibes just pouring off Hugo Weaving <laughs> that are freaking out mm-hmm. the other <laughs> security programs that he works with. Mm-hmm. And I love this sense of like that now he is also deviant and other within the matrix from the completely different direction. He knows that like, and he's trying, he's trying to work through this theory of like, how did I end up like this? Like, why do I feel this way inside the matrix when I have such a clear purpose and role? Um, And so he spent like, he is also sort of an inhabitant of hell. And he has also sort of realized what the matrix is Um, just from the completely different direction in this. And it is such a, the way on the one hand it establishes agent Smith is like even more of a scary monster in this film, but also the way in which you kind of begin to start to feel sympathy for the machine Mm. a little bit in all this, like this whole sequence. I just love Mm. they're dependent on each other, which is like the real actual nature of the state and the people that the state sort of oppresses and occupies. This is, this is the difference between workers and bosses. The role of bosses in society are to convince you that you have no choice but to live by their rules because they hold all the cards in the deck. The deck is stacked in their favor. But the reality is bosses need workers. They need them in order to create profit. And if you decide to withhold your value as a worker, you also have a lot of leverage there. It's just a description of how of how this hegemonic power, how hierarchies work. Uh, the, the the level of hatred he has because he knows that the machine society would, could not exist if they did not subjugate man. Uh, the best, my favorite little part of the scene though is before he begins this monologue, he takes his earpiece off because he doesn't want people to hear it. He yeah. feels so deeply about this and he knows that even having these emotions about humanity 
like admitting to hating them would not is not accept- acceptable within machine society. Even for the oppressors, you are forced into a situation where you have to cohabitate with just people and beings you fucking hate. <laughs> like just hate bodily and emotionally, gutturally. Well, it's, but there's also yeah, go on, Kata. Well, I was gonna say like, I mean, like in 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 this recent rewatch, it really reads to me like the kind of radical right wing acceleration of ism that also technically says fuck the system, but fuck the system mm-hmm. in a very specific way that benefits us as white people as white nationalists, right? Yeah. It is fuck that level for- of hatred for. Yeah everyone else that is also being oppressed and like but they're being like no but we deserve to be on top still like it's, I like, it's like ah fuck authority but what if i was the authority exactly exactly that that, and that, that is cool that is a hundred percent what is happening here with agent smith specifically is like i understand how vile this place is and i want out but just for me like right like yeah. i'm not i'm not here to like help anyone else out of the this shitty system i just mm-hmm. want to get out from um totally selfish reasons right like yeah and fuck the system for making me live next to degenerates is what i'm saying yep i think i think think also you could you could also read that um as like damn it kind of sucks to be a human like all this (laughs) shit you gotta deal with like you know in in a movie you know in which we're talking about themes of like transness and bodies and like i being in this being in this sack of Human flesh, like just this. I don't know. Like, there's a bit of it. Just like this doesn't seem. I just feel sorry for you. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be here. Like, I'm understanding what it's like to be human, and ugh, yeah, I, you know, like, like this doesn't seem great. You know what's cool? Like existing for a directive, accomplishing that, and then joining the consciousness. Yeah, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. like yeah. you know, it's it's a it's a little you know in a movie that is about what is the, what is the point of living? How does one find direction and connection? Um. There is in, in the fact that uh, 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 Smith finds free will to a certain degree by developing a certain amount of humanity discovers, oh, no, like free will is scary as hell mm-hmm. and like much harder to achieve peace and happiness. Um, I could I just go back to having the mission because right. um, that was easier to grapple with mm-hmm. that. I just do that. He seems um, disgusted whereas- by his own feelings of hatred. You know, yeah. he seems yeah. to, yes. he's like the fact that humanity has pushed me to this point is disgusting to me that I have to feel something rather than pleasantly not feeling anything at all. Well, and and he's trying to mask it from the other agents. Right. And mm-hmm. so like to a degree, both he and Morpheus, the thing they share is they are warriors in a war that may not have an ending. Right. That like they might just have to do this forever. Morpheus is good with that because like he like. One, he thinks he's found his his chosen one, but but two, that that kind of is what he has signed up for. Where like he believes that there is a redemptive ending to the story that eventually will come if he keeps faith. Agent Smith is like, unless I can just eradicate humanity, I am just stuck here, and I am stuck having these feelings. And he started to question things about like, is that great bit where it's like, also the only reason you're rebelling is because the matrix sucks. Well, guess what? We tried to make a good matrix for you (laughs) and you didn't want it because that didn't feel real. That like human existence is like defined by like suffering. It's the way he's, he, he puts it. And like, there is this idea of humanity would ruin utopia for itself. That doesn't even have a, that it can't, 
conceive of or believe in the concept. And so we all have to live here in the shit matrix. Mm. <laughs> uh, and it, we, it is it is inescapable because it sucks. We will continue to have like mutinies uh, within it. And the yeah, the, the entire sort of mask off moment for him is terrific. And I don't think I had forgotten how weird the other agents find it until the assault on the building begins and they walk in to like, let Smith know what's happening <laughs> and they find him like caressing Morpheus as he's like, yeah. I guess he's doing the sweat out. bit part two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Oh, I just hate your sweat. Yum, 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 yum. Oh, it's <laughs> disgusting. Humans are so gross. I just have to stew in this. Yum, 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 yum. And they're like, the fuck, dude? Well, they don't say that. They're like, what are you doing? And then he does the cipher thing where he's like, what? Mm-hmm. Uh, let me just close those tabs. What are you tabs. doing? Get out of here. <laughs> yeah. It I is- didn't have the I didn't have the miasma of humanity tab open. I wasn't like wallowing in it and being like, oh, I hate this. This is gross. But the other um, agents are there being like, hey, the, this guy has gone off script. Mm-hmm. I can only see it now of having lived through the entire period of time that happened since this movie came out. See it as like, this is the difference between someone who is fully radicalized and someone who is getting quote unquote pilled of term that comes from the matrix, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. these, these oh, people God. over the, over here, the, those are just rank and file guys. They're just doing a job. It doesn't matter to them whether they believe in the system or not. It's just their job to do to uphold the system. Whereas fucking Hugo Weaving, he's fully radicalized. He is Rittenhouse, you know? He is someone who has just <laughs> yeah. really his experiences have opened him up to a radical ideology that includes the extermination of all beings on Earth. So, <laughs> like, you know, yeah, he's, just normal like, 2021 stuff, basically. Uh, I <laughs> also love... very black pill. <laughs> oh, yeah. fuck. Yeah. God. I also... One thing before we move on from this scene, I'd love the moment where... Smith talks about classification, about whether or not humans are mammals. Mm -hmm. And it's just like is a great example of the way that you can twist definitions to further oppress people, the way that the system will use, uh, you know, uh, quote unquote, science and classification to put people down. Right. And Mm -hmm. like that dovetails so beautifully with the trans narrative throughout this movie, too, as well. Like the, the idea of the the way that like science has traditionally categorized gender and sex and all that being mm-hmm. used as a structure to keep people from, you know, being their full, true, happy selves. Mm-hmm. Where you Also, know, yeah. when I'm sorry, when he was like, makes the analogy to viruses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The way that speech opens, I couldn't help but hear it in the Orson Welles, Paul Massan brandy uh commercial where he's like there is another organism on earth that shares the same human trait the virus orson welles would be not- a great morpheus except said if they made this movie in like 19 1945 or something he would have been choice number one for morpheus so it would be really good i think we just need some Completely, we need a completely immoral VFX remake of The Matrix starring like Olivier, Orson Welles. Just like bring them all back no, no, and no. see what it might have been. Jean Paul like. Belmondo is a good, the, clearly the Neo here. I can't believe we've gotten this entire movie without talking about Carrie Ann Moss, but like that is Marlena Dietrich, obviously. And then Orson Welles as, as Morpheus. <laughs> Here you go. Oh, who's the guy who talks like this? That German uh, guy fleeing the Nazis. That's just Jimmy Pants. That's a cipher. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
So I think I think you meant you mentioned Kyrian Moss because here we do we start to get into as as Neo's like you know what suicide mission seems like the way to go here like that'll solve my problem <laughs> good luck with the rest of you but I'm getting off the train yeah um that she like well but he I has think- he has that bit of information that says like the oracle said he can make the choice whether yeah. it's him or neo so or him or morpheus right so it's not a suicide mission in that they will go get nothing done and all die it is a suicide mission literally for him in that he knows he will die but the objective will, of saving morpheus will mm-hmm. still happen right and this yeah. is the difference between him and the beginning of the movie and the, the development he's gone through here they don't explain it like i've had all these experiences and it's made me care for you guys <laughs> they have him being only able to make the leap because it's morpheus because he knows that if he does do this thing he's really scared of, if he makes the choice, then he has this guarantee from the Oracle that he will be able to succeed. It's the uncertainty that was really terrifying, like really making it unable for him to jump, you know, make the leap in the beginning of the movie. But here, once he become, once he's getting, give, someone gives him permission to be sure, to be sure of himself and be to be sure of his actions, that is when he becomes Neo. The one thing... I feel like, though, here there's a bit of, like Carrie Ann Moss is carrying a burden well, but I think it's a bit of a thankless one, mm-hmm. which is that she is trying to perform and bring across in her performance that it has been prophecy that she will fall in love with the person who is the one. But she's not in love with him yet, but maybe she could be. Mm-hmm. And maybe when she does fall in love with him. That will sort of confirm the prophecy, uh, et cetera. Yeah. And it helps I, a lot that they have intense and, and physical chemistry in the club scene in the beginning where she's wearing the, the the leather corset. It's just sort of like those two guys, they could start fucking right now. <laughs> That's really what it feels like. You know, like you- yeah, but yeah, because the, the, there's just no time in an otherwise like brutally efficient yeah. film yeah. to do any of the uh, like heavy lifting. It like. When they eventually do kiss, it's sort of like I remember feeling like, well, I don't really buy this from a plot perspective, no. but I I buy it from a character yeah. and yeah. performance perspective. Yeah. So let's just she, keep going. She sells, also- she sells it. She sells every single moment of this. And it's because most yes. of the movie is action oriented. Right. So when mm-hmm. she's being asked to do any kind of physical motion at all, she has to sell it from fucking head to toe. As Tyra Banks would say, modeling head to toe. You know, like it is. <laughs> She that scene with the kiss too, where the spark explodes above them as they're kissing. Yeah. It's like the whole movie is trying to sell you on. Even if you don't really understand how they fell in love, they're in love right now, and that that needs to be real for this movie to work. Yeah. And the the oracle has a line that also helps set up kind of the idea of that like happening and not not knowing that it's happening, right? Where mm-hmm. uh, she tells she's talking to Neo about being the one it's like you can't be told that you're the one you're no you just know it like being like, in love like falling right? in love yes, <laughs> like yes, falling yes. Love. it'll just happen and when it happens you know there's also and maybe we let's continue with this because once we do get actually to the kissing scene uh, there's another thing i want to bring up but we can continue with the we, we're, we're at the what the, well, the lobby scene right now oh no, my God, uh, like, quick shout out to coolest thing ever the giant gun room where oh just like God. the yeah. freight cars full of guns arrive. <laughs> Admittedly, they don't need them. They Lots can only carry them. so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
But I but, just, I love how he's, the, it is iconic the way that he doesn't even know the power he holds and the way that Keanu Reeves, like, California guy this, like, he understands, this is what I need to pull it out, right? Where I need to just say, <laughs> I need, uh, guns. <laughs> it works so well. Uh, and, like, in the, yeah, in the lobby fight sequence, the she Matrix is the says a cab. <laughs> <laughs> like she is the embodiment of cool oh in God. this sequence. God, yeah. Oh like God. the way she fucking capes through the metal detector mm-hmm. and their the, the swagger as they leave. It's it's incredible. But the uh yeah, the way they just turn that entire room inside out in this sequence. Uh and as we just begin the power curve climb mm-hmm. of like, we've seen them do like some cool shit, but they're going to increasingly just become a mm-hmm. wrecking crew as the se- sequence goes on. And like the things that they could do before become like the floor for what yeah. they're capable of. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love when they show you as against the elevator, they show you what they did to that room. Like we <laughs> saw that room when it was pristine marble, like a minute ago. And like the beat, the comedy beat of the p- panel of marble falling to the floor and shattering is just so, so, so funny. Like this is a, per- this is a, a fat boy slim song, right? I think it <laughs> is. Probably. I think so. I don't know. It's that song that's in like a million. It's been in a, do- a dozen different. If, if not, it's the right era and it's yeah. the correct answer, even if that's <laughs> yeah. not actually. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Exactly. It's pulling from the same. Like, is it Chemical Brothers? Is yeah. it, it Flatboy? So, like, it's, it's all the same. <laughs> like, it, it's in it. It's one, it's one of those beats like that. I laughed at that, too. Mm-hmm. That makes me wonder. I'm sure the script is online somewhere. Yeah. I'd be so curious if that's in the script yeah. or is like a comedic peak found the editing where yeah. someone like, a, like hey, we have a shot yeah. of like a piece falling <laughs> like we could put it put it in there. Like an absolutely perfect something that you only get again if you're doing this physically in a physical space and you have a physical camera in there. You could you could think of that comedy beat now but it's so much more fun for both the audience and the filmmakers when it's something that happens organically as a consequence of just making art together in a huge group it's i love that fight scene that fight scene is as close as the movie gets to explaining why neo and trinity love each other also they work in perfect sync it's like um i think the most direct relative i can think of it right now in modern cinema is the last jedi red room scene with kylo ren where it's just like, oh, you understand the potential of what it would be like if these people work together, but they're destined not to work together. Where here, it's like, oh, suddenly now, through the use of physical use of their bodies, we understand what is appealing to each other about each other. They they think the same. They move the same. They understand the system in the same way. They mm-hmm. are perfect partners. And it culminates on the rooftop, which is... Uh Trinity in the helicopter is cooler than I remember, by the way, too. But oh, when he has so the cool. when he has a showdown with the agent and he does the bullet dodging thing uh, for the first time that they can do um, where where he is like starting to dodge. But Fucking. the fact that he just calls out uh, Trinity, help. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 like I have bitten off more than I can chew. Yeah, yeah. It's a very couple gold moment. Yeah, I guess, it really is. is like. He's fucked. Like he's a like he can do the agent thing, but not well enough. He's still like getting wrecked here, and she sort of materializes with the uh, sort of the last minute headshot. God. Maybe okay. Maybe dodge this is gilding the lily just a little bit. I love but it. I don't know. I'm, I, I'm you know, I'll <laughs> fucking allow it. You know, as yeah. I will allow it. 
It's it, oh, we are not God. we're so far away from the Joss Whedonification of every single Hollywood script so that it, it does not feel like uh that happened. Like I just, just I love I love it as a response, right? Because the fucking agent quips here, right? He says only human, <laughs> right? Like yeah. Um, in the and like you know it like brings up that. Uh, you know this this sort of thing where uh, even something with amazing power can be brought down by cooperation, right? Mm, yeah. Like it doesn't matter that they're only human. There's two of them. You didn't pay attention to both, so you're fucked now. <laughs> God, it is the most like animated composed shot as well. That gun is enormous yeah. in mm-hmm. that shot. I'm yep. looking at it and like the for short like the the uh I guess it's like lengthening the the field in some ways where the gun is so enormous in the foreground and like the distance is exaggerated. It's it's terrific. Uh what what anime? There's uh, there's truly really, like, this is the sequence that mostly showed up this action, these action set pieces that mostly showed up in the trailer as I was watching yeah. it just now where it's that and then I forgot how just incredible it is when he does actually get the the helicopter and she slams into that wall and it just explodes like a beautiful uh, iris yes. around her. It is unreal looking yeah. now. It, it it is literally perfect. <laughs> I, I can't it's, get it's, over it's, it. It's an, it's an example of where you know, this is like a heavy visual effects sequence in which like you can see some of the aging, but that shot particular with the way the glass flows, like it's a wave in the ocean <laughs> yeah. is so striking that you're able to look past like the, the you know, the age of the, the effects themselves, because what it's trying to convey is cool as hell. Like the way CG and ages it's followed, poorly. And it's followed almost immediately by practical effects again yeah. as the right. as the glass actually you're, shatters, right? The idea again, is that you're yeah. seeing this so fucking slow that you see it warble before it snaps. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it's so like good. the way that your brain works because it's montaged in between a set like real physical effects. Like it's obvious that they were actually in a fucking helicopter. It's very obvious. I don't care how far below them the ground actually was. You can tell that they're hanging onto a physical thing so it looks so much more like it sells the effects part of that so much more montage you make associations in your brain without even understanding it when you see two images next to each other well and and just having chosen their moments for some of these effect shots too like Uh. the the fact that like i think something defines a lot of the uh effects heavy uh like digital compositions is that there's just too much happening in them a lot of times so that like they're kind of throwing up so many uh attention attentional like red herrings that you don't like actually have a good sense of like what is the scene what is in this shot uh you're you're it, it doesn't scan whereas here they sort of pick their battles and it's like now we are going to like we're going to show you how slowly the world is starting to move for these characters like you were, you were going to show you how incredibly capable they are as like they're making decisions and doing things in yes that fractional like slice of time mm-hmm. bef- w- between when the chopper hits the glass building face and the building face explodes. We're we're going to draw that out. Yeah. Um. They also the one one other part of uh CG that happens multiple times in this and is great is every time an agent jumps into a new body and it just like fucks up the the human's like face really bad it's uh, i love it's great it's it doesn't look good but it looks terrifying right like um uh just like leaning more into that body horror that we saw earlier in the film so 
something that did crack me up a little bit though is after they've they've rescued Morpheus and they get to the uh the hard line in the in the subway station. And she's like, Neo, I have to tell you something. And the way oh, Keanu Reeves keeps glancing at the phone makes me think that while this is a very intense moment, he's still playing Neo as a guy who's like, yeah, but somebody needs to pick up this phone because we got to go. Yeah. Like there is I was I was cracking up because it is the most not the time Trinity like mm-hmm. moment in the movie where she's like, I have to tell you something. And he's like, uh-huh. What is it? Yeah. Uh huh, and just keeps like glancing back toward the phone as like their window to escape narrows, and yeah. we're just waiting for the agents to show up. And she's really, like, her emotional arc is just sort of like, man. So basically, Carrie Ann Moss Trinity has just been set up on a series of blind dates by Morpheus over a decade, and this time she's like, oh, but he cute though. And then over the course of the movie, she's like, this guy, really? He's pretty dumb. And then by the end of the sequence, she's just like, wow, he's so hot. I really have to tell him right now that I'm falling for him, even under the threat of death, because it's so important. But what she's, gonna tell, but what she's telling him is that the Oracle's prophecy has not come true yet. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, that's the thing. Like, she's she's bracing to him, like, everything's come true except mm-hmm. that she's in love with him. That's That's kind of like... She's like, I'm not in love with you, but could be, but I'm not, I don't know. And she's like, I don't, I'm afraid of what's going to mean. And is, I read that backwards. I read that, that what had happened is that she had fallen in love, but Neo wasn't the one yet. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Neo hadn't become it, oh, the so one you think, yet. Yes. I think the thing that oh, hadn't happened. Because he was told, yeah, because he did tell her. I'm yeah. Not he the said, one. he said in that scene where right. Trinity and, um, I forget his name, which one, Tank. Uh, either tank or dozer. One of those yeah, two yeah. fucking like construction equipment bros. <laughs> yeah. Uh <laughs> They're both in that scene Tank, where he Dozer, says he says the order the Oracle just straight up told me I wasn't the one. Right? So her yeah. falling in love there, like the thing that hasn't happened is Neo hasn't right. become the one yet. Yeah. Yeah. Where the dominoes yeah. are in place, but they have not yet been pushed over. And what yeah. they need to do to be pushed over is Neo needs to realize that you don't actually die in the ma- in real life when you die in the Matrix. That your mind makes it real, but he has utter ultimate control over his mind because he understands his personhood so deeply now. And so we get, uh, she makes the narrow escapes great as the bullet oh like God. whips the, in and destroys the phone it. just so, as she yeah. exits out of the world. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> and then oh, fucking amazing fight sequence as God, the growing alarm in Hugo Weaving's encounter with <laughs> Neo is terrific because he comes in like all confidence, like just, just time to sort of put this guy down mm-hmm. and sort of the like sequence of like, Huh. Revelations as he can't quite close this thing out. Yeah. He just can't quite finish off Neo. Uh I I I love it. Uh I I I love the chase through the city as mm-hmm. he's uh trying to as he's trying to navigate toward the next hard line. And then yeah, his his death as the uh as the sentinels close in on the Nebuchadnezzar and they're all like nibbling their way inside uh the Nebuchadnezzar. Again, like it is possible that um, now, like knowing what we know now about n- now, knowing what we do now about the Wachowskis, uh, it is the possible way that, that he uh, says, Mr. Anderson, and he goes, my name is Neo. This time mm-hmm. to me felt very specific and powerful from like a gender identity point of view, where it's like you spend your entire life where other people have 
really determined for you your understanding of yourself and being able to stand up and say, I am not the thing you have decided that I am is like, yeah, if we had any understanding of what of, of this is the same understanding we do now as a transgender identity in a more mainstream way that we did not have when this movie came out, we would have understand that line to be imbued with that feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, you can't take it. That to me is like the most trans moment in this film. And it's um yeah, go on, cut out. Uh, I was just gonna say in this scene as the like the one two two things. First, I love the way the fucking matrix the 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 space around him shifts like bends around Keanu Reeves' figure when he emerges oh, and bursts out of uh, Agent Smith. Um, like just fully, the world is taking shape around his his will at this point right with his and, breath in this very yeah. vedic way you like, know it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but also like this moment here where trinity's kind of confessing her love on the ship right like as he's being chased and dies uh for a second but then comes back um there's um a thing here that i've i, I feel like is a more allegorical reading of the entire relationship um, in this film between Trinity and Neo that um, I like. So it, it, it being a, a trans narrative, another kind of like meta step, like another step removed here from like what these characters are as people. You can also read Trinity as being neo's actualized self like fully mm-hmm. actualized self coming to terms with the person that she was like self it's mm-hmm. and the whole narrative becomes about self-love and self-acceptance in a way they like, look the identical only, yeah, their yeah this is identically, the thing there, there's know? there's absolutely like some of that i think is like purposeful and uh, not just a read of but like part of the intent of their relationship mm-hmm. it feels very much like the way that Neo becomes ultimately the one and self like completely self-actualizes by having that self-acceptance and being able to, you know, uh, state that like he, he, the, the first step is like stating his, his, his name in the fight early on. But then the second step comes in like being able to see the structures and the world around him for, uh, the way that they can be kind of, broken right like breaking out of breaking out of the status quo and what you've told the edges of gender are what you've been told the edges Mm -hmm. of sexuality are and being like no like that does not actually those aren't actual edges they can bend and break yeah as the movie goes on the filmmaking goes from very very objective so really a camera observing acts from a distance you know in the beginning of Mm. the movie we do not know where our allegiances are supposed to be it's filmed in a very straightforward very camera sort of put down and observing things kind of way as the movie progresses the camera work becomes more and more subjective until we get to the very end where we literally see the work through Neo's eyes for like one second and we see that he does not see the illusion of the Matrix anymore he just sees code he does not he does not he's so fundamentally changed by this experience that his experience of the world is just utterly different from ours at this point he does not have the even the ability to be deceived by the matrix anymore it does like you know 
even as much as this really, I can relate to this in terms of like understanding my own gender. It also is relatable in terms of being awakened to socialism, right? Where you understand yes. how the, you, you grow up and you like are told that you're going to have to get a job and work nine to five and the world will work in a certain way that will, you know, not be pleasant, but serve you. And then suddenly you are introduced to an entire school of thought that says that life doesn't have to be that way. And all of a sudden you can't look at the world in the same way. Yeah. You can't look at someone like Jeff Bezos and see an innovator anymore. You just see a monster that's hoarding wealth. I also um, in this sort of denouement here, I love that Agent, like it's so clear that this is more than they can handle, but Agent Smith sort of craves the annihilation of mm-hmm. Neo. Like he's both at once enraged mm-hmm. that Neo can do all this and like can't believe that this is happening, but also is kind of eager to be like, yes, destroy me. Like <laughs> yeah. he embraces the void. Um, I do love that the, the the reaction of the other two agents when they see Agent oh. Smith ripped apart by Neo and they just sort of oh. look at each other like, this is fucked, right? We're done. Yeah, we're out. <laughs> just we're leave. Out. The program leave. <laughs> um, I I just I adore it. Uh, the the ending of this is it, it is so triumphant. Um, which leads me to I guess the thing I was I'm not sh- like I I really like the Matrix Revolutions. I like in the end I was like you know what I'm glad we did continue this journey. Yeah, but I will say. Nothing about this film at the time, and I'm still not sure now, at the end of it makes me feel like, and I must know how this specific story continues. Yeah, because you know how it continues because he's literally Jesus Christ, you know? Yeah, what <laughs> he tells you how it's going to continue. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't know how it's going to end, mm-hmm. but I... he's going to start by like freeing the minds of mm-hmm. humanity. Mm-hmm. He's well, here see, to me, save you. Yeah, Me in middle school was like... But I want to see them actually break free of the system. I want the system to actually, I, I like, I saw, I understood the end of this as being like, all right, this is the first step, right? Like, and then like, mm-hmm. spreading this idea is is going to, you know, make eventual large scale change if you spread it far enough. Um, but then like me being a middle schooler was like, but I also want to see the war and mm-hmm. have them actually fuck up the machines and like actually break the system down. So different different time different yeah. life absolutely wanted those sequels to happen and was very excited for I them mean, yeah they took i was telling you guys before we started recording they took me in like in like eighth grade we like went on a school on a class trip to go see the matrix like our teacher <laughs> brought, so it, brought us all wild. tickets it was wild because we were like our eighth grade teachers led us to sort of understand metaphor through taking us through the matrix. And like, that was, I went to like a a dumb private school. That was pretty awful to me. (laughs) I really hated being there, but one of two black students. So that was normal. Uh, So we went and like, because some students, including myself really latched onto this lesson and really sort of loved analyzing the matrix as a bunch of eighth graders with him. He bought like a, a group of us tickets to go see the matrix and got his pizza later and the Matrix fever was fucking real. Like the yeah. Matrix were not, they were smash hits in the same way that Marvel Disney movies become smash hits. Like this was a phenomenon. This was an mm-hmm. international phenomenon. So there was a lot of people that just came for the fights, right? Like we are appreciating this movie on the level of craft, on a level of like form, on a level of, of metaphor and story. Like a lot of these things that... A lot of moviegoers, frankly, like in no fault to them at all, do not think about and do not consider. They are just there for the pleasures of the cinema. So, or or, or those things are 
they enhance their experience, but they're not cognizant it up. Yeah. Right. Like, like the best movie, like the matrix is a better movie because of all these things we're breaking down yeah. and you don't have to sit there and think about it and analyze it to, to have had yeah. a better experience for it. Yeah. You know, the difference between a good movie and a bad movie without understanding cinema studies. Right. But right. there are things about the matrix that in particular make it a very good, like I would call it like a perfect film that you <laughs> can pick up on if you are willing to break it down to this degree, but you don't need to know in order to like it. So people like everyone on earth was ready for those second and third matrix movies. And I like Rob really enjoy revolutions. I love the architect, man. I do love the complication of the savior narrative. I I think that stuff was all very good and good additions to the story. I remember zero. Yeah. Zero. I know. I remember. Same. I remember. I remember. Because I remember remember Neo. Laying down, and he—I don't know—he's—he's he's dead, and he goes into some robots. Like that's it. Like I remember, yeah. a, I remember uh, the, a highway sequence that oh, was cool with some weird-looking dudes with dreads. Like yeah. that's it. Here, David Grossman, my boyfriend, threatens to dress up as the twins, the ghost twins, <laughs> in the Matrix sequel. But he's always like, "What I'm going to do is I'm going to get a whole bunch of guys to do this." So we go to a party, and it's all the twins. <laughs> That's that oh like what, throwing a Halloween party where you only dress as the twins from the Matrix. Wouldn't it be so great? <laughs> it's so funny. I re- the, my memories of the of the sequels are very hazy because I feel like I definitely haven't watched them in ages. No, and I watched them in the theater and that was it. I rewatched the yes. Matrix a ton of times. I watched the Animatrix when it came out. Yes, um, same. But I did. I watched like two and three. Felt indifferent to negative about it mm-hmm. at, at for, like, like, for like my age at the time so um, I vaguely enjoyed them but thought like I, I definitely lost the plot multiple times mm-hmm. of like yeah, yes. wait what was, who was they were too much personally for me is that they yeah. were shot simultaneously and I think that we can see now with the distance of time all these trilogies like two sequels that were shot simultaneously every single trilogy that did this at this time and has done it since they've all really lost the plot in a third movie because you are not thinking about these movies as two distinct objects, but one movie, one movie in two parts. And the first movie that these guys all saw was one complete movie, one story with a beginning, middle and end. It's very easy to follow. Yeah. So being left at this climax at the end of the Matrix Revolutions, you're you're a little you're just confused because that's so dissimilar to the movie you saw before, which was discrete, complete whole. Yeah. Well, and I think there's an element here of, I don't know, like, The Matrix was so big, right? It's, mm-hmm. it, it is one of those things where it is a level of success that immediately takes on a life of its own. And so, like, not only is the film sort of complete and, like, it doesn't really require a follow-up, but the Wachowskis are kind of given a blank check to, mm-hmm. like, flesh out the rest of this. And blank checks, like long history of those being more of a burden and more of a terror for a creative than they are a blessing in mm-hmm. in some ways. Um, and well, I do think, not, like, I mean, it's a blank check, but with asterisks, right? Because then you also have to make back at least that much money, yeah, right? <laughs> like it's a well, with with strings attached, kind of blank black blank check. Well, and you sort of immediately. I think the first thing Reloaded kind of has to do is it has to walk back, like some of what like yeah neo's the one he's super powerful but he can't but be like, he can't just yet. snap you can't have to, the movie ends with superman mm-hmm. and it's like all right well if superman existed 
that's really how Neo ends. Like, oh, you I mean he flies into the fucking sky? Yeah. It's like, oh, we've created digital Superman, mm-hmm. and like the logical end of that, which is the tantalizing. If you just never made a sequel, is oh yeah, I don't have to. You know, if I don't know what happens, well, I know what happens. Like he's gonna fucking blow up these machines, and mm-hmm. humanity comes back, and yeah. like well, yada yada yada. Where I mean, the, they, but it's like, oh no, we gotta do that for three hours, which means we need to we need to power down Neo a little bit and like give some yeah. dra- drag this out. Well, part of, of Superman necessitates a doomsday, essentially. Yeah. Right. Uh huh. And also, kryptonite. like the yeah. one thing that I do remember is being like, oh right, those powers only exist in the matrix right mm-hmm. <laughs> like that idea is like oh on the outside it's still very vulnerable is where they kind of start pulling the like oh like this is where the danger really lies yeah i'm i'm i am so curious because i remember my memory of reloaded is the entire film seems like it's laboring under the obligation to like we gotta get this engine to turn over to like mm-hmm. have a story even to continue to explain yeah. like why the end of that movie you saw doesn't like match up as like the end of the story in some ways. Like what's the intention? The beginning of that movie is introducing you to a thousand different factions and characters that are not just like a not mentioned or seen in the first matrix, but not even, you don't even get an inkling that these kinds of things exist. Mm -hmm. Some of them make sense. Like it makes sense that Morpheus is like a religious weirdo. And there's a lot of other people in Zion that don't buy into his religious like shit, you know? And it makes sense that there is a governing body of Zion, but like the council as it exists doesn't like you don't you don't really get the feeling that there's a Zion government, <laughs> you know. In the yeah, first there's like movie. a very small line where they're talking about that the fucking codes exist. It's like the 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 members of I forget I, like Tank says this. It's literally yeah. like half a line that hints that oh there are other people in power positions of power in zion like morpheus like they're leaders of some sort yeah well i mean in some ways like my memory of zion is it's kind of like a a pirate haven in some ways like every captain is just kind of a leader of, of of the civilization um but yeah like i for me i i come to the end of this film and i'm still like and they ended that story pretty successfully and then the sequels are very clearly like, well, hold on, though. Imagine the story continued. And like, I don't think I will ever regard this as a like trilogy in that sense of like the things sort of have a beginning, middle and end. Mm-hmm. Like the Matrix kind of stands apart and the rest of this is like, oh, shit, you want more? Uh, we can we can give you more. But in the background of that, they're also being like, and, you know, they're going to let us we can commission a bunch of animated films yeah. about the Matrix and just like explore the world games. of the Matrix. We can make comics. We'll make real good video Transmedia. Games. Yep. <laughs> that oh. was. Oh. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. The beginning yeah. of the end, my friends. <laughs> like oh, the no. beginning of the end. You know, and it was exciting actually when they did it because it wasn't just. Like, they had comics, one anthology of comics that I read and I think is actually quite good about perspectives, other stories of characters who live in this universe. One great story I remember from the series of comics that they commissioned was just, this is the life of a guy that chose the blue pill. And he's haunted forever by making that choice because he'll knows he'll he had the call to destiny and he said no. And he'll have to think about that. Oh, man, that sounds. What what if he's having a great time in a steakhouse, though? (laughs) Just fucking up some steaks. Just goes to fucking Hooters every night. <laughs> so, well, 
Slings we know, we and a glass know. of water. Gotta slop them up. <laughs> we, know, we know what Rob would do. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. This, talking uh, about giving up meat, and Rob's like, I'm not giving up meat. It's digital. I'm not exploiting the environment. <laughs> These are synapses, baby. Can't get, can't get a blooming onion like this in Zion, huh? <laughs> yeah. The they call it something. They it, call it something else in Zion. That fancy ass like steakhouse that Cypher went to. What if they just went to an Applebee's or a Chili's? He's like, he was just looking for family, fat, casual dining. <laughs> like, I'm just sitting there. I'm like, I'm not sure you can be put back in the Matrix. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm sort of sitting there being like, Are you sure they're gonna do this for you, dude? Yeah. No, they're like, gonna kill that man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cause we saw the robot. It's like, hmm, this human has woken up from its battery egg, and yeah. it's like flush. Yeah, I'm like, I think if it were recoverable, I think if that situation were recoverable, they might have just done, they might have done something differently. But yeah, I'm just not sure. Cipher, like, I'm not sure they're making you an actor, buddy. Yeah, he did not really think about. He did not think about that at all. It's like the. I mean, it's the, so the reason funny why, and sad is yeah. like, make me someone important, like an actor. Like an actor. <laughs> I love that. And you know, you can feel Jimmy Pants laughing at that line as he says it, you know, yeah. or he's been an actor for so long. But yes, he understands that this egoism is a little bit true. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, so, yeah, I think we will we will continue with our exploration of the Matrix. We'll be I think the next time we talk about this, uh, we will be covering the sequel movies uh, in our next pod. Mm-hmm. Um, we're probably going to deal with them as a unit. Uh, mm. probably. I'm pretty sure we're, we're mm, yeah. going to deal with them. Well, they're basi- they are basically one movie, is the thing. It's right? true. It's like, true. But yeah. the, the problem is we're going to spend 45 minutes on the defense of Zion, and that doesn't leave much for the rest of these other two movies. Now, admittedly, oh, in God. the Reloaded, nothing happens. Yeah. But- <laughs> Jesus Christ. If you want to list out the uh, actual events that occur in Reloaded especially, which has, I think, I mean, again, the flaw of this being shot simultaneous if they had shot this this movie and it had to be one movie, they couldn't just be like, "We'll put all the philosophy in one movie and then all the fight scenes in the other one." <laughs> They'd have to mix it up a little bit. Uh, but- no, and yeah, it's uh, I I am so curious. Of course, all the uh, the four K scans of the films are on HBO Max uh, right now, so it's a good place to, to go watch them. I have the uh, I have the Blu Ray uh, editions from mm. a couple of years ago, but like. 4K looks pretty pretty cool. Uh, yeah, the um the master that they have for the Matrix on on HBO Max is actually extremely fucking good. It, it looks gorgeous. Uh, yeah, highly recommended. Are we? I we should also do the Animatrix somewhere. Yeah, I want. You know, what pisses least, me off is it's on HBO, but it's only as a as a just one run. You you click play and it goes for an hour and forty minutes. Yeah, that's very that's annoying. Fine. No, I want the little like I want to go select my little Animatrix experience. Why did they not rebuild that DVD inside HBO Max? (laughs) They have the technology. You can't tell me Warner Brothers couldn't do that. They could do it. They could do it. They could. They're denying us our birthright. God, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's still so fun to watch as one thing. Well, I am. uh, Boy, I remember. um, Here's the thing: what they're recreating there is the is how I watched the very the animatrix for the very first time on fucking VHS. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it even came out on VHS. Yes, it did. It fucking they made a VHS version of the animatrix, and that's how that's how I got to watch it at home. Uh, Here's one reason why we should absolutely talk about the animatrix uh, in part and in full. Because uh, it's great. One factoid I have, 
uh, you know, the the Final Fantasy movie Spirits Within. Remember that? Yes, one? I do. Yeah. So uh-huh. Square Enix spent a, a huge amount of money to, to creating a film studio in Hawaii where they develop proprietary animation technology for that film specifically. And they justified it by saying we are creating a we're investing in this technology because we it wasn't Square Enix now, it was just Square. Um, we are in, intending to make more than just this one film. They had a huge media blitz about how Ada, you know, the, the Ada, the, the character in the movie, was going to actually be a digital actress and they were going to use this technology so much. It was used one, mo- no, two more times for a Final Fantasy demo reel and for the Flight of the Osiris. Mm. And when it. I was that age, because <laughs> I was an idiot. Yeah. I was like, man, the flight of the Osiris was the coolest thing ever. I wish the whole Animatrix was like that. And now uh, I'm like, this is the most forgettable one of these stories. Yeah, the, <laughs> like if you look at the directors they have on that, like there's a Masaki Yuasa thing on there, I think. There's Yeah. It's really like it's not just uh, that this is a, such a cool and weird project that they had. It's that they really knew exactly who to talk to to get the most experimental and engaging sketches that would engage with their universe within its rules, but on their own visionary terms. Yeah, which I think kind of highlights some of the things that are frustrating about the Matrix uh, sequels is that so much weirdness is implied about the Matrix and then we see so little of it because it's a bit of the, but we're going to stay on the savior narrative track. We're going to stay, say like we're going to stick with the Messiah and not the like, oh, by the way, like ghosts and demons are real in this world. We're not going to talk <laughs> about that. And I was like, how are we not talking about that? But anyway, we will all get to that as we continue. Uh, oh, we got to play the, the enter in. the matrix. You got to pull out my PS2 really quick and do a couple oh, streams got, of that. I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Please. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I got to play the path of Neo, which just retells the story of the matrix. Uh, Kato, you know. can you get on rebuilding the uh, server side infrastructure of uh, the Matrix MMO? God, God! Uh, once you're once you're ready, like you can sort of we can sort of have. I'm a- so mad that I didn't know that that existed at the time. Also, didn't have probably strong enough internet to run that sort of shit at the time. No, that's the entire generation of MMOs I just never experienced because it's yeah. like, I know this will be fucking miserable. I highly I didn't even know I like, like the, reading the lore on the wiki. It, it yeah. is fascinating. The concept of MMO at that point for me like didn't exist. Like I didn't realize that that was a thing. Like I I like my my video game thing was very like uh, console centric and like that one fucking 11 pack of games that my aunt gave me from EA. I'm going to back up here though and say I think it's probably a good thing that Kato didn't get into MMOs too early. God yeah. damn it. Like, I think, I'm glad that you but do I could have been in the Matrix. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, yes, you could have, Kato. Yes, you could have. And, and, and God only knows where you would be today. Uh, Alright, I think we will wrap it there. Uh, thanks uh, Thanks for listening to so we, we all agree we love we, we, we love the name Jacking Back In. Right. Um, I hate. Uh, mm. Mm. No. Well, okay, I guess we'd be a square and call it the desert of the real. No, no, just like anything else. Honestly, I don't. No, those think are our two choices. Pick it. God. Pick one. You can have. You can have desert of the real or jacking it in. It's like if we if we started a um, a podcast about Babe Pig in the City and you called it Crank and Hog. Like I don't. <laughs> See now you're now you're talking on our level. Welcome, welcome to porking it, um, man. I, I think those might be those might be the name. You know, we we don't have a name for this like 
spinoff of the podcast, and yeah. maybe we're just gonna have to just they're all anthologies, eat shit like the animatrix. Learn, just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We'll see. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to uh, thanks for supporting us on uh, Waypoint Plus. I'm not writing uh, jacking it into the episode title. I will well, not. Well, you should because that's not the title, Kato. It's not jacking. Okay, it's jacking back in, which is hacker talk. So there, motherfucker. I hope you're happy. God, because I am. <laughs> Always happy after jacking back in. Anyway, <laughs> call it there. Oh, wow. Can't, I gotta go eat lunch, I guess. <laughs> okay. With the with the Matrix sequels, and God knows what we'll find. Very good. Good, great. This well, I, I good like one. that we answered the question of what if a Matrix re, uh, rewatch podcast was a drive time morning zoo. <laughs> <laughs> we need more. We need a soundboard, man. That's a, the one thing we're missing. Open up the phone lines. Yeah, yeah, please. Yeah. Call, call, call her. You're on the air. <laughs>